If you can't handle me when I'm covered in the blood of a boar I've just sacrificed to the gods, then you do not deserve me during the bountiful harvest that will result. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the shim shims scenes. I'm your choice. I will put on these glasses. I'll start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance to do Our patience is wearing thin. shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task, and one which we all recognise as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do. Because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal. An absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with the law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. We will find you. This is episode 143 of Behind the Schemes for March 13th. 2023, and I most definitely will kill you. This is Booberry Mothman and the Miniocalypse. And all the way from way the hell over here on the Breft Coast, where they stopped putting the shopping cart oh. back a long time ago. My name is Lavish. And it shows. Let me just. Oh my God. <laughs> let me just throw that out there right out the gate. I, you know what? I actually put away someone else's cart that was in the parking lot because they leave, not, they don't just leave it in the cart, they take up a whole parking spot by leaving that cart there mm-hmm. they couldn't even lift it onto the curb what kind of madness do we find ourselves in people <laughs> god said show me 
a land filled of masked assholes and unreturned shopping carts. And I said, have you been to California? We are truly forsaken. <laughs> we are forsaken. <laughs> God but what are you going to do? Yeah, I don't you know. Well, uh, I do know that uh, you went on a special, uh, special reconnaissance trip last week. I did go on a reconnaissance mission. Uh, I tried to get in touch with a couple of our producers in the Pacific Northwest area. Fortunately, uh, none of the plans came through, but attempts were made. And, uh, and we tried to go do it. Uh, and it was a lovely time. And I also tuned in for the fantastic episode that you did last week, 142, with the Hogs. Yes. Uh, John Fletcher and Carolyn Blaney of the Hog Story. I and, uh, Everyone was having a good time for that one. Um, uh, I did, too. I was having a good time. It was fun. Yeah. It was... Uh, <laughs> I did see a couple people flee the troll room after... Uh, Bermrose lined us up after that last no agenda on Sunday. They're like, oh, tarot? Okay, I'm out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was very kind, as always, of Sir Bemrose to put behind the schemes after no agenda, which uh, they did yesterday. But yeah, uh, the, you know, the, the troll room was pretty trolly yesterday, I have to admit. Did you see the troll count? Were you in the troll room for the troll count uh, for the donation segment? Uh, no, I was trying to clean up my work box in the garage, so I was away. They, at the beginning of the donation segment, they had 2,300 plus tr- trolls was the troll count. And then by the end of the, dona- no, th- by the end of the segment, they had about 1,300. So they lost a thousand people <laughs> just from the donation segment. It's pretty wild. Well, they were, they were very corny. Yes. Uh, mm. well, I do know that, uh, there was a lot of stream interruptions right there too. There were stream interruptions, yeah, which is very, yeah, Adam said that they got DOSed or something. Oh, DDoSed? DDoSed. Uh, maybe. DDoSed. Tri- double DDoSed. <laughs> Triple DDoS. I combined DDoSed with DOXED and came up with DOSed. Uh, yes. So th- they were hacked. They got into the system. I'm in. Um. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, thank you, thank you both, uh, Fletcher and Carolyn, for coming on board last week, last second. Appreciate that. Hope you all had a good time. I most certainly did. Looking forward to having the four of us. We'll have ourselves a proper foursome going. Mm, I'd like that. It would be. It would be sick. Yeah, I'm always always tickled to hang out with the hogs. No doubt. And you can catch them uh, every Monday before our show at uh, around five o'clock uh, uh, Pacific, seven o'clock Central. And then uh, we got, uh, you and I did a special guest appearance with Sir Sir Seat Sitter on Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's right. We were with half of OBDM. With two, Cretchen and Joe. Two-thirds. Two members. Two-thirds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh asked us aboard along with Sir Sir Seat Sitter and did a two-hour show. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's always cool to... Go to somebody else's else's house. Yeah, do a show, you know. It is, and it's fun to do the video stuff as well, which they're into. <laughs> oh, he's got Christmas lights everywhere, motherfucker! It's Halloween lights. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, I don't think we've ever done a video show where you haven't gotten triggered, where you're like, "Fuck, fucking, 
fucking shit, motherfucker. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's leave my, me and my Christmas lights alone. It's my, my office and I need it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we were on there, of course, with Sir Seat Sitter of Abs and a Six Pack. And we have a link for that show in the show notes. Zoso's Corner.substack.com, episode 143. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And uh, let's go ahead and kick this party off. We got a tarot card tonight from, yes, a, from a different deck. I, I don't recall ever pulling from the Thoth tarot before. This is Aleister Crowley's deck. I feel like maybe once or twice you have, but not often. Not often. Yeah, you know, I just had a couple of different things go on over this past weekend. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start shaking stuff up to see what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so we got the Queen of Wands from the Thoth Tarot deck. Uh I'm going to read a passage from a book that I have on the Thoth Tarot. Uh this one's called The Ultimate Guide to the Thoth Tarot by Johannes uh, Feiberg and Evelyn Berger. Hmm. Uh, the Queen of Wands. You resemble this queen. This uh, The card underlines your royal dignity and likewise your feminine side. You possess and develop a royal, masterful interaction with the firepower of life. Mm. Your entire prowess as a human with great energy. Uh, your entire prowess as a human with great energy and ability to survive is in demand. Oh, people need you, man. Mm. Hey. Oh, th- they need us. Me. All of us. The collective we. Yes, and it's uh, the servos corrected me. It's Thoth. Thoth or Toth? Uh, or Toeth. Toth. Toth or Thoth? Toth. Uh, basic meaning the master of the basic drives. What compels me? What attracts me? Where can I be? How I am? Just like every court card shows this queen as a prototype, a confident demeanor with the corresponding element with the wands, fire, drives, deeds, will. You are like this queen, and you can be like her, and slash or you encounter someone in your life who corresponds to the queen. Uh, mm. As the card of the day, let the cat out of the bag, adhere to your drives. <laughs> uh-huh. Drive. One's representing drive a lot of the time. And the queen, you're the queen of drive. Uh, the uh, labyrinthos keywords are confident, self-assured, passionate, determined, social, charismatic, vivacious, and optimistic. So not only are you determined and ambitious, but you are in a in a social way where you're building relationships and those relationships are fruitful and make you happy. And the thing I like about this particular book is they dedicate a whole page to uh highlighting each of the symbols inside of the card. Mm-hmm. Uh so in this example, there are ten things that they highlight. They've got the design of the figure, the feminine torso, fire cloak. Uh, there's a wild cat, the radiant crown, so on and so forth. And um, let's just go through some of these. It's it's interesting. Uh, as far as the design is concerned, the queen is rather indirect through the enormous energies in her appearance. Only a part of her body is discernible. Thus, flames, rays, peaks, and prongs dominate the rest of the image. Uh, from the torso, the fire cloak, enormous energy and radiance, dominant appearance, entra- uh, enraptured from above, consumed by passion. Or blossoming because of it. Strong presence, conscious entity. The cat is originality, unpredictability, untamed vitality, and sexual power. Mm. The projection of masculine sexual wishes and fears is the wild cat. 
the radiant crown worn on the head or hovering above it, Egyptian sun sign in an implied form. Mm. A starburst on the head again emphasizes the connection to sun themes, passion, presence. Uh, there's a circle on the on the torso, self-determination, formation of the character, long hair, vitality, unbridled power, or vanity and narcissism. You remember Samson had long, long hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pine cone wand. Uh-huh. Uh, f- the pine cone wand. The phallus I've seen symbol. this before. Uh, otherwise, symbol of evergreen and self-regenerating life, also eternity, or evidence of basic nature that is possibly unconscious or still uh, unknown and withdrawn. Definitely uh, a borrowed symbol of the Masons. Mm-hmm. The pine cone wand. Yeah, pineal gland. It all fits in there. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a wand of your third eye. Yeah. Uh, prongs and flames, hot stuff. A uh, cat showing uh, showing its claw claws. The numerous peaks and prongs indicate strength, like lust or ruggedness. Uh, they also symbolize the character uh, development. Peaks and prongs, uh, our personal imprint, bite the impression that we make. And this is talking about, if you look in the, in the foreground of the card, there's all of these uh, kind of spiky bits in front of the queen, and she's kind of lurching over them. That's the peaks and prongs that they're discussing. And then finally, the red sky. Sky equals God's realm, or the power of fate, and the homeland of human will. Human's will is their heaven. It is now about the lucky unity of fate and free will. A beautiful card. Very striking, very bold card. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very red and yellow. Absolutely. Uh, you got any final thoughts on this last card here? No, I just think it's a good card. It's a very positive card, which is nice. It's always nice to get a positive card. No doubt. And a nice deck. Nice deck. If you want to check out this tarot card, it's posted up at the top of our show notes, which you can find over at zososcorner.substack.com. If you want these to show up in your email every week as our weekly newsletter, you can always subscribe free of charge. We ain't going to charge you nothing for it. It's a labor of love, damn it. Mm, Yep. That's right. No paywalls, no bull. And straight, straight juice, straight juice. Yes. Lots and lots of straight juice. <laughs> hmm. The uh, We do the show live every Monday night, so if you want to check us out, you can always go over to badradio.live. Uh, we start this stream off at uh, around 9 o'clock Central PM. Show starts at 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. And uh, there's a chat room link that you can get in there as well. It uh, takes you to irc.zeronode.net, hashtag green room. It's an IRC chat room, the best chat room, or best type of chat room, IRC specifically. Yes, there's so the many, superior chat room. Yes, there's so many different crazy channels on Zeronode, it's awesome. It's the hippest place and to it's, be. Uh, it's hard to regulate it too, so you know you get a little freedom. There aren't a bunch of mods running around. No doubt. Trying to trying to get you. The only thing they do is just keep you from writing in all caps in the troll room. But other than that, you're free to do whatever. And then, uh, um, that's not freedom. That's not the kind of freedom I thought. Oh, someone just defaced Jim Jones. <laughs> kind of fired there twice uh, in one go. Just got him right in the face. 
Yeah, we had uh, we had uh, make heroism come through with a, a couple of new boost sounds. Well, which we'll uh, touch on here in a second. Um, we do the show live. You can find us at badradio.live. We did the show notes. Did the tarot. Um, this is a value for value production. That's right. Value for value. Meaning everything. That's that, right. Everything that we uh, produce, we put up on the internet and hope that you enjoy it. And if there's anything that you got of value from us, you just turn around and return some value back. Help us produce the type of radio that you want to hear. Uh, indeed. And uh, we do that so that we don't have any you know, corporate sponsorship or anybody trying to tell us what to do. Nobody can cancel us. We're not beholden to any special interests. And that's why we can talk about all the things that we talk about. Um, and again, like Blueberry said, you don't have to support us in any major way, but you can always support us, you know, by calling us uh, or by emailing us or uh, sending us art or ideas or boosts, boostograms, <laughs> yeah. disgusting, uh, morbid, beautiful boostograms. Yeah. So to um. to provide a little bit of a background of what's going on here, this is a podcasting 2.0 supportive show. Meaning we got all sorts of features included in our RSS feed that you can enjoy totally free. No paywall, no Patreon, no nothing. The only way that you can participate is by going to nudepodcastapps.com, take off all of your clothes, and then download yourself a new app. And uh, I mean, there's tons on there. Um, and there's all sorts of cool stuff like chapters, transcripts, uh, location tags, people tags. You can send boostograms. A boost is a micropayment of Bitcoin sent on the Lightning Network. And uh, there's quite a few apps, uh, nude podcast apps, that will support that. And what you're hearing... <laughs> right there. <laughs> that's a, that's a micropayment of Bitcoin that somebody just sent in, and it triggered something in the chat, and it triggered a sound in real time on the show. So yeah, you have... Um the ability to uh to make disturbing noises on our show if you if you send us a booster and uh i guess to provide a little bit of background make heroism has sent over a couple of cadavers and uh i wasn't really sure what we should do with them so we just have bodies here and i guess if people want to fuck around with them um you maybe rip their head off you can smash a skull in chop a finger off uh, what's the uh, What's the machine that has like a bunch of unnecessary parts? Is it like a Rubenstein or something? Uh, Rue Goldberg machine. Rue Goldberg machine. Yeah, we basically made a Rue Goldberg machine uh, with cadavers. Yeah, uh, it's. Um, I, I thought the smell was going to be a little overpowering, but then I realized that there's all the goats here still. So, what does it matter? You know, you have options. Uh, but yeah, the uh, all of the new boost sounds are right up there at the top of the show notes. I've also got them added into the, uh, there's like a boost homepage, liveislit.com. Uh, you can check mm -hmm. them out. But uh, yeah, some of the new ones are 2023. You can eat the, I'm sorry, 2033. That should be a 33. <laughs> oh, <man. Shocking> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Light them up. We'll save uh, <laughs> talking about all that, of course, for second, second half of oh, show. We'll get into all that. Yeah. Well, do you want to get some? Uh, we should just. I'm going to hit these ones that came in from earlier this week, if that's all right. Okay. Uh, we got 3333 from Dag through Fountain. We got 6666. These are all from today, uh, mind you. Mm. 
6666 from Make Heroism. He slaughtered himself a goat. And mm. then uh, <laughs> 4444 is all the ways that you can toy with the bodies now. And, yeah, uh, lucky 4444. And he was checking, Make Heroism was checking one of those out through Fountain. We had 3333 from Bully Steed through Fountain saying, Fantastic show with a dolphin emoji. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 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 We had uh, 13696 from Make Heroism. That was defacing some public art. Uh, Feels good, right? We had 1098 from Bully Steed saying, The 1933 book burning. Hmm. Yeah, and he says, "She says that's not freedom. That's not freedom. That's not kind of freedom I'm, I'm looking for." Mm-hmm. Jim Jones knew. Uh, we had forty-four, forty-four from uh, Make Your Wisdom through Fountain. That was boosting the body, and then Bully Steed followed him up through Fountain, saying, "I'm picking up what you're putting down, Make Your Wisdom." Ew. <laughs> and then uh. 8888 from both Bully Steed and Make Heroism. Uh, Bully Steed said, Old Faithful Gimp. Yes, Bully Steed and Make Heroism both wanted to give the Gimp a taste. Just a taste. Just a taste. Just a little taste. Yeah, he, he wants it. It's okay. Don't be shy. Hmm. Nice. We got, uh, well, thank you everybody for the boost. Uh, and, uh, and for triggering all of these Jim Jones quotes, which I which always tickles me. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just get rid of the Spotify and the the suckle, the Apple. I I I was listening to something. I was like, hmm, I wonder if Apple's gotten any better. Uh, I can I can report. No, mm, it has a big surprise there. <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better. Damn it. Yeah, join the future. New podcast apps or nude podcast apps. Or just podcastapps.com. Yeah, podcastapps.com. That'll do it. Is this how you do it in the green room? You're supposed to lick the blood, right? Yes. Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. Oh, I love it. I'm just going to lick some of this blood off. Should I lick this stuff too? (laughs) That's right. You can lick blood off the green room floor and you can give us a call at 612-263-7999. Leave us a scream mail. And we do have a scream mail here. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Mr. Lavish and Booberry Mothman of the Interwoven Trees. Uh, mm. How you guys doing today? Good. Great. So, uh, Scream. Kind of actually tied it in a little bit with the vocal mail that I just left for those uh, fine folks at In the Smoker. Uh, but, because uh, they had this whole thing on texture. But, you know, that's a different podcast. We don't want to, you know. They got the thing, but anyway, with the texture, it's kind of like the interweaving of, like, materials and stuff like that, and it just got me to think of something that happened recently, and uh, you really don't have a lot of things to, like, gripe about or complain about or really, really scream about, but, I mean, like, sometimes you can always find something, right? You know, you can always find something to complain about, just like you kind of always find something to to be joyful about or whatever, um, but, yeah. So going off the texture thing is just kind of like it 
just think of the complexity of how interwoven we are, we all are with each other. And if we just really thought about like, just a big picture of how like stuff we do can impact for the good or for the not so good of other people and just like looked at that and then just family and friends in particular where it's just like, man, do these, you know, like sometimes it's like those actions you're doing are amazing. It's, it's keeping stuff together or just like just doing other stuff and not like kind of figuring out kind of unweaving your own past so that you can better weave in with a current, if you will. And, uh, like, not kind of just dealing with your, not, not, inter, uh, not, uh, I'm getting tied, tongue tied here, brain tied here. Um, but yeah, just, we gotta go, we're just taking the time to get personal with ourselves and, and, uh, kind of, I guess, do some trimming, if you will. And we all gotta do it, you know, whether big or small, and probably both. Uh, because, like, man, like, we just really have an impact on people, and especially friends and family. And sometimes it's just like, because, <laughs> like, when it hurts, it hurts. Um, and, yeah, then sometimes you, like, you know about it, but then, like, you can't go tell that person because just dynamics and whatever. And, yeah, so. Anyway, I love you guys. Stay dangerous. And, you know, whether you're happy or sad, go ahead and give it a little cacao. Yeah. Thanks for calling, Kakala. Yes. And thank yeah. You. And uh, I'm going to give uh, Comrade Christopher Battles some dangerous karma. Right now, I'm dangerous. Indeed, Christopher Battles, it is interesting how our actions ripple and reverberate through the fabric of the cosmos. And uh, come back to us. Uh, all we can do is just try to do our best and be there for people when we can. And a textile is only as strong as its weave. Hmm. That's right, Mothman of the interwoven trees. <laughs> Silky. Hmm. He's a tree man. I don't know nothing about Pokemon go to the trees. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to get them to go. Pokemon go to the trees. <laughs> Pokemon go to the trees. Give us a call or a text. Yeah, you can text that number. Thank you for reminding me. Do we have any? No. No? Well, 612-263-7999. Uh, well, since you took last week off, do you want to choose the rules? I choose the rules. I, I choose, yeah. I choose the rules. Let me look at my collection here. I'm going to take the, let's see here, the uh, eight-sided die. And uh, whoever gets closest to lucky number seven. How about that? Goes first. Goes first, lucky number seven closest. Do it, man. I'm the do it man. Oh, shit. Roll the dice. 
All right. Count of three. We're both going to say our numbers out at the same time. So it'll be three, two, one number. Are you ready? All right. Ready. Three, two, one, seven. Seven. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that. Reroll. So we're going to both uh, take the first half of show and we'll just talk over each other and I can play both clips at the same time from both presentations. That's right. We'll, we'll get the show done twice as fast. Twice as fast. Also, if there's anybody, if there's anybody out there that listens to this show at 1.25, 1.50, 1.75, 2x, 4.20, 6.66, and you're making fun holes and small furry four-legged creatures with a hammer to fill up with your own fun we support you and we salute you it's a free country you can listen as fast or as slow as you want i I would recommend you listen to us at uh, 0.5 x yeah so you can really get the message all right we can only i think there's only one way we can settle this was with a d20 oh very well a d20 it is yeah what's the rule here highest goes yep okay Oh, right. Oh, boy. That's a 19. Damn, I got a five. Holy, holy. Oh, my Rolling fire God. tonight. Oh, my God, you guys. I got spanked. I gotta roll, gotta roll that dice. Oh, yeah. Here we are singing show tunes. Look at us. Look, Look at, at us. us. Oh, my God. Again, Spotify. <laughs> Fuck off. Don't fucking call me. Okay. Legally Blonde, if anybody was uh, curious. Yes. Legally Blonde, the musical. Um, so you and I uh, had uh, an engagement uh, with an individual, an interaction with an individual on Mastodon, mm-hmm. on the Fediverse. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, somebody had posted something calling Adam Curry a, let's see here, let me get the quote, uh, a... Stumbled across former MTV VJ that is now a tinfoil hat wearing right winger. Wait, uh, is, is he talking about uh, like Adam Curry? He's talking about Adam Curry, MTV <laughs> former MTV VJ, <laughs> tinfoil hat wearing right winger. Which you know, and then he called David Ike the anti-Semitic lizard people guy, uh, and he was uh, just commenting on how some of his former favorite uh, people like MTV VJs and all are now uh, foaming right wingers. And so I kind of looked into this guy's thing. I looked into his profile and I kind of saw what he was talking about. And he seems to be what I call a brown shirt. Are you familiar with the term brown shirt? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've encountered a few in my time. Yes, yes. Uh, a brown shirt, I want to just be clear on how I, I intend it. Uh, while a brown shirt does reference a specific party from a specific time, for me it just generally means a stooge for an oppressive political movement. That is what a brown shirt is. A brown shirt uh, is based on the original paramilitary organization that uh, was under Adolf Hitler in the early rise of the Nazi party. And they were basically his his strong arm military uh, group, and they went around and they they kind of screwed with people. Whoever whoever didn't agree with them or whoever had different views, they would try to silence them and they'd try to beat them up. 
And then when, after the Night of the Long Knives, in 34, when uh, Hitler did his big purge, they were kind of left to the wayside and, and sort of became the secret police. It kind of shifted gears, and Hitler had to separate himself from them. But for a long time, I mean, you have to keep in mind that by 33, uh, Hitler had already been in the political game for, you know, 10 plus years. And, um, and the, all that time, these were kind of his guys that would go around and, and do his bidding. Uh, let's play a little clip so we can get to know these guys a little better. If you can play clip one. Let's look at what SA actually means. It stands for Sturmabteilung, which in German means Storm Detachment. The foundation of the SA actually predates the formation of the Nazi party interestingly, and it was an older establishment. When World War I came to a conclusion in 1918 and Germany surrendered, there were a number of independent paramilitary groups or units that played the defeated country. These were known as the Fry Corps and were made up of prominently First World War veterans who had returned from combat. The Fry Corps fought against communism and other groups that they believed were to blame for the German defeat of the conflict. Indeed. So I'm not trying to draw too many parallels directly to them. I just kind of want to explain the origin of the term. Uh, and I'm not saying that this guy that I'm calling brown shirt is, you know, uh, part of a paramilitary organization or that he's violent or anything like that, but he engages in the, the same kind of sort of rhetoric and the same sort of means uh, in ridiculing and mocking and ignoring and silencing and censoring other views and kind of always simplifying them into like a string of very exhausted keywords and empty cliches like tinfoil hat and Nazi. And this guy loves calling people Nazis. I think the technical term for that would be dog whistles. Yes. These are dog whistles. These are scripts that this guy, you know, has decided that this is, he wants to be part of this. He wants to be part of this. Also, sort of movement. also should we make a dog whistle, a boost sound? <laughs> What are you talking about? I just here. I'll play it right now. All right. Did you hear it? Those dogs are going nuts right now. Oh man. Yeah, that's a good one. We'll we'll, we'll add that to the roster. <laughs> Sorry, please. Oh, uh, I did see uh, in a millennial. He had also boosted twenty one thousand three hundred forty five uh, sats through Fountain, but it didn't come through uh, the helipad for some uh, reason. He said, "Oh, well, thank ever, you. You ever pork a porpoise?" Yeah, thanks, Nam. That's quite a hefty little number, two, one, three, four, five. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, so anyway, this guy seems to be what I call a pro-state lefty. These guys follow the program. They're the, the Fauci disciples. They're the guys that just eat up whatever comes down the tube from CNN or whatever. And they go around and they talk about Fox News, people who watch Fox News. I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch any corporate media really except to kind of try to see just what other people are talking about but this this guy is like a lot of other people that i know that just fall into this line where they are you know a useful part of of whatever this narrative is trying to be they're they're the enforcers they're the ones that go around and will mock you and will tell you you're, you're an idiot and a nazi for not subscribing exactly to the corporate slash state uniparty narrative. This individual and others of his ilk are the type of people that Q 
was written for specifically. Yes, exactly. Because you get to have the lovers and the haters of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll find that these guys like the brown shirts of of uh, the original the original brown shirts of Germany, thirties Germany. They have a lot of paper tigers and they have a lot of false flag things that they are drawn to. They ignore a lot of stuff and they kind of cherry pick these these obvious fake pushed marketed events and they, and they roll with it. Um, one of them being you know January sixth, how they make a huge deal about Jan six, even though it wasn't really that big of a deal. And it, it happened right at the end of the BLM riots, which were, you know, probably the more, the most violent acts of public vandalism and, and hostility since the Vietnam era. Um, but they ignore that and they focus on this other thing and they use it. And that has, that has parallels as well. Uh, historically, history doesn't repeat, but it does often rhyme. And uh, there are just a few things that they that they participate in these people now that the brown shirts participated back then. Um, let's go over just another clip on the early years of the brown shirts. You play uh, clip two. The SA would become deeply entrenched and associated with the German Workers' Party, which also saw a rebrand into the more historically notorious Nazi Party under the leadership of Hitler. At the time, speaking in public about politics was a rather dangerous thing to do in Germany, so the original task of the SA was to protect their prize asset Adolf Hitler, as such speeches and gatherings would often attract communists, the SA's enemies and would result in ferocious brawls and violence. This would play into Hitler's hands, as the members of the SA were made up mostly of old military, who certainly knew how to handle themselves, and they knew how to deal with these events when it kicked off. When fights would break out, the police under the Weimar government were usually unable to cope and were powerless, and it would be the SA who would restore law and order. This would give Hitler vital ammunition in his speeches, claiming that the Weimar government lacked leadership and power to govern the country effectively, saying he was the one person who could restore Germany to greatness and control law and order. Funnily enough, it would be the members of the SA who were frequently breaking the law, however their power on the streets was huge. They seemed to get their own way, and under the leadership of their charismatic speaker, the SA looked like an attractive proposition to many people in Germany. Man, this sounds like those Antifa dudes. Uh, Dean Reiner had a episode of Up Is Down. He's dissecting this clip of a Antifa member has a gun drawn on another dude telling him to get down on the ground, put his hands behind his head, uh, as in they want to become the police. As mm-hmm. they want to become that law and order providing body. Yeah, and they organize and they wear masks and uh, they they arm themselves and they go around and they threaten and and cajole and and are violent to to people and to buildings and and uh, important very importantly they create a problem so that they can be the solution, which yeah. is something that you see again and again the Helian dialectic. <laughs> That's something that they learned from the mommy state, no doubt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have tried uh, you Pfizer. well in <clears throat> Padawan. Yeah, so... Uh, I wanted to compare, I think, because we, we've... It, on Mastodon, we've talked about social media purges, and Mastodon right now is serving as a sort of a, a, a safe... Not a safe haven, but the most popular alternative choice to all of the major corporate 
social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook. You go to Mastodon to get to that other thing. And they have kind of participated, Twitter, before Elon Musk was a part of it, in what you would call a sort of a modern book burning. Uh, and the Nazis and the brown shirts famously participated in a 1933 book burning in which they uh, destroyed a bunch of books that uh, allegedly were of an un-German spirit. Let me and guess, a lot of these- uh, Dr. Seuss... Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, I'm pretty sure Roald Dahl actually <laughs> was in there. And then they, they said that uh, Jack London was in there and Hemingway. Mm. But there were also, obviously, a massive amount of Jewish texts and of uh, transsexual and LGBTQ type stuff, which was at the bleeding edge at that time. Yeah. There were a lot of guys in Germany that were kind of working on that front. And... uh they were burning all of that too. And, and some of that stuff is of course controversial today. I mean, we're talking about, you know, castrating kids and in the name of transsexualism or whatever. So it's not like it's just a pure cut and dry, like, Hey, these guys burned good books. Like there's some stuff in there that is like kind of weird uh, that a lot of people could argue is a little weird, but uh, we will talk about these book burnings right here. You might find some comparisons. If you think of every time they say, Nazi, uh, you think woke. Uh, it kind of fills it fills in the blank very nicely. If you could play clip three, books represent humanity as it at its best and its worst. To burn books is simply a fundamental repression of ideas. I mean, what can a book do, and why is it so dangerous that that it needs to be physically annihilated? In 1933, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, called the Nazis for short, came to power in Germany and established a dictatorship under the leadership of Adolf Hitler. The newly established Ministry of Propaganda and Enlightenment set up various chambers to control specific aspects of German culture, such as art, literature, theater, film, music, virtually all forms of entertainment and all forms of dissemination of news. In 1933, in April, Nazi German students decided to organize a nationwide book burning program to eliminate foreign influence, to purify German culture as they saw it. So you have committees of students meeting with professors together, deciding what categories of books in these university libraries would count as un-German. They didn't see themselves as suppressing culture, they saw themselves as advancing Aryan-German culture. It always starts at the colleges. Yes, and the professors and the students. This was an, an educational, it's an intellectual movement coming from the uh, places of higher learning. Now, nowadays in the age of the internet, book burnings have taken a sort of a new form with the social media platforms as we were talking about before. Social media platforms today serve many roles. Um, they, they're public squares, they're markets of trade, they're forums of debate, libraries, archives, they're news outlets so on. So social media is 
in a way, uh, the living book that we're always reading. And that book provides information about our world. It provides information about whatever you want to learn about. And when social media platforms and when the, when Google and the service providers, when they censor things, that is the modern version. And before Elon Musk was at Twitter, Twitter was in the most controlled space. I mean, it was the biggest public square, but it was also so controlled, so censored. If you had any kind of uh, message that deviated from the norm, you were, you were publicly ridiculed and you were oftentimes banned or, or um, you know, you're shadow banned. So this is, this is the sort of thing that, that where we say that history rhymes. Uh, any thoughts? Well, <clears throat> I guess if you look at books passing information on like an infection, like, like you're getting somebody sick, like you're, you're taking one thing that you have and passing it to another person and, uh, thus filling the space inside of their head. It, um, I guess <laughs> what else would work other than holy fire to purge it? Indeed. Holy fire. <laughs> your favorite thing. I've seen that shit. I've seen people call for it. Um, in person, it's weird. Cause it's like, you know, without your direct intervention with said book, what's it going to do? It's like a, it's no different than a rifle. It's just going to lay there yeah. until somebody interacts with it. You can make the argument that, you know, what harm has a book ever done? Books, books never done anything. I mean, it's just, uh, you're just passing on those memes from one person to another. Sure. Uh, when you're talking about the physical books, and then, of course, you could take a step back and look at it as a sort of a metaphor for a larger cultural rejection of ideas. Right. It, it represents the, the energy and the spirit of, we don't want to read your stupid shit. We already know what's best for us. You know, our way is the best way. And if you aren't with the program, then uh, we'll get rid of you because you are now a nuisance and you are now the enemy. You are now the problem and we are the solution. Yeah. And we are the solution. And if you're not part of the solution, well, then by <laughs> golly, you're part of the problem. And we here at Be- Behind the Schemes would like to disclaim that we do not consider ourselves part of, part of any solution. No. Or part of any problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Above it all. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm transcending. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what Jesus meant. <laughs> Sorry. The Mothman has risen. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um. So nowadays you need to go and you need to find raw data wherever you can find it because major news outlets aren't real journalism anymore. They're controlled special interests, intelligence, community spooks, CIA, you know, all that. I mean, it's been proven. These guys are absolutely compromised at every level and they do not produce high quality journalistic product. They only dish out misinformation ads and propaganda. Yeah. Or just reporting on what's going on. You know, who said what on, on, uh, on Twitter. Yeah, who said one on Twitter and and focusing the spotlight on things that don't matter compared to massive things that do that they don't give any time to. 
So it just goes on and on. And the only way that we can actually learn the truth is by having an open forum where people can present evidence and ideas and, and talk. And this guy and brown shirts don't want that. They don't want open discussion. They want to forcefully insist that their ways are the right way. They are heroes of their own fan fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no discussion. You know, there's, there's only ad hominem attacks and bullshit. I have some screenshots of some stuff that he said. Let's see. Just advocating for censorship. He goes, since taking over Twitter, Elon has led a ton of Nazis like Andrew Anglin and baked Alaska back on the platform. Uh, he talks to the people he regularly interacts with are far right chaos propaganda accounts. Like Andy No, Cat Turd, Kim.com, Libs of TikTok, Ian Miles Chung, Jack Pizzagate, Pasobic? Pasobic? Pasobic, uh, I think. Musk marinates in the political culture of the far right, anti vax, let's blow shit up and see what happens caucus. And then he says, hey guys, vote for McCarthy. I don't. Who, who's McCarthy in this situation? Uh, the the current speaker, right? The guy that just replaced Pelosi. Oh, okay. I, I thought he was talking, um, uh, like like uh, jo- McCarthyism. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Congress Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy, yeah, Speaker of the House, is what he's. So this guy is just a, a blue blue anon. Yeah, I think make heroism called him that, and he's very right. He's blue anon. He he's making. He's making it up that like people are going around blowing things up when no one's blown anything up except for, you know, BLM and Antifa. <laughs> They're the ones that are going around burning shit down and laying sieges on federal buildings and taking over whole neighborhoods of Seattle and shit. I mean, oh. they're the ones that go and do at real domestic terrorism. There's nobody on the right that's really going around doing anything. Let me let I'm going to take a second here to parse this sentence in this post we just read. The people he regularly interacts with, so the people that Musk regularly interacts with on on Twitter, in parentheses, and thereby thereby gives credence slash clout to. (laughs) Yeah. So if I don't interact with you, then I don't give you any credence or clout. Is that what that means on the reverse side? I think so. I think yeah. If if Elon even acknowledges your existence, then then he's promoting you. And well, and I'm saying that looking at Seth's perspective from Seth's perspective, if he doesn't interact with you, then he doesn't, then Seth doesn't give you credence. Seth doesn't give you clout. Right. And if you try to have any conversation with him, he will report you, block you, and and basically make make it so that you never exist in his eyes. Hit me. Uh, you uh, you're not human. You hit, are a worm that me. should be crushed. Hit me with a little bit of reverb and uh, just give a shout out to the Hall of Claims at Spook Social for me. What? <laughs> Can you hit me with some reverb and just shout the Hall of Claims? The Hall of Claims. Yeah. (laughs) Give me two chops. (laughs) Yeah. Two chops. Yeah. Yeah.
So yeah, this guy uh, ended up uh, reporting your account at spook.social for, yes. for, the, for the interactions that you had had with him. And Which uh, was very uh, benign. You know, I didn't really say anything too extreme. I just kind of made fun of him for having a really awful take. And uh, and everybody kind of piled on. And it seemed like most of that thread was people agreeing with me or, or also making fun of him. Um, and he reported me to myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's my instance, dude. Welcome to fucking, well, welcome to Macedon, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, oh, I, I also like this one. I went on his Twitter. He says, all I can say is if Soros wants to pay me what Rod was getting paid, I can promise him that at the very least I won't ever use the phrase primitive root wiener in a sentence. I'm not exactly sure what he's referencing there, but he does acknowledge that he wants George Soros to pay him. So had to clip it. Oh, he's talking about, um, actually, I don't want to speculate on what he's talking about. I don't want to get, uh, deplatformed. Uh, uh, I think what he's saying is kind of racist though. Probably. Probably. Most definitely. He's, if he's not calling someone a bigot, he's calling someone a Nazi. You know, it must be really easy to be this guy. We're going to play clip four. Uh, book Burnin's B. Book Burnin' B. The first thing every totalitarian regime does, along with confiscation and mutilation of reality, is confiscation of history and confiscation of culture. I think they all happen almost simultaneously. Really, all literature is dangerous to a regime that fears the free flow of ideas because the literature in its most fundamental way is meant to forge connections among human beings. Because you don't know where it takes you. Uh, knowledge is always unpredictable. There is always a risk. It is like Alice jumping down that hole, running after that white rabbit, not knowing where she goes. And for tyrants, control is the main thing. They don't like this unpredictability. They don't want the citizens um, to connect to the unknown parts of themselves, of their past, and to connect to the world. So for a totalitarian regime, this is perhaps the most dangerous thing because these regimes are predicated on the idea that the people within them will resign themselves to thinking that this is all there is and that there aren't any other options. I think the shame is ours is everyone's. We, we, we all have to think that as human, we share the best and the worst. And that as human beings, what happened then can happen again. What? That was a kick-ass clip. Holy shit. I know, right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what are they talking about again? You know? Uh, I just, the, the whole, like, it is our fault and it will happen again. It is it happening will. again. It does happen again uh, because it's it's an eternal phenomenon. Our language describe you know we can call them brown shirts, talk about the Nazis, and talking about the Nazis is easy because everybody you know of our time and place is very familiar with World War II. But this thing that happens is is universal and it's eternal. It's it's just power structures. Power, whether it's a monarchy or communism or fascism or capitalism, whatever power is, is really kind of the same thing across all, all boards. It, it, it takes leaders and it takes followers that, that are willing to take orders. 
and that repeats itself again and again. And so the regime that we have now is is kind of weird and muddy, and there isn't this central figure. You know, there isn't like a Hitler for this guy and and for this movement. It's a it's just a massive convergence of interests. It's corporate academia. It's the uniparty system. It is uh, globalism, and it's ESG. It's all of these things that that blend together and just set the tone culturally and otherwise. And you can be part of the program, or you can criticize it and be a Nazi, according to this guy. Well, uh, good thing he's not an authority on anything. No, no, no. More, more like a self fascist authoritarian <laughs> yeah self-fashioned excuse me sorry well, it's just sad because i can tell that this guy is smart on a certain level i mean he's a professor he's a, he's a professor of history you know he, he's able to memorize a lot of stuff but he just seems to be totally aimed in the wrong direction the, the compass is broken and it's um, man and it's just such a and i i did end up scrolling. I didn't go to the Twitter, but I, I was looking around on the uh, Macedon handle, and uh, it's a singular focus. It is a constant stream of conscious focused on one thing. Like, this is the type of dude that, that strikes me as, like, you go around and you, you uh, levy accusations like this, and then one day you look in the mirror and you became that very thing that you've been raving about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are the very thing that they claim to hate. They are bigoted, violent, close-minded, um, you know, hostile people that don't—they're they're not open to, to discussion. They're not, they're not open to debate. And that's the very thing that, that this guy's always railing against. Oh, these right-wingers, these Nazis. Uh, it turns out, I don't know, it's like, a, it's like a madness. The whole thing, especially with all this COVID shit, it just... They call you a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist for like acknowledging that there are sh- shadowy power players that exist, <laughs> you know? And that there's an obvious effort for one world government by, you know, a number of factions... Bankers and otherwise. I was uh I was discussing something with somebody uh involving just a like a local thing, and certain individual said, you know, I created this conspiracy about uh, a certain event that happened. And I was like, You don't make a conspiracy unless you got at least one other person with you in the room and you collude to do something that dicks over somebody over in private. You are hypothesizing about a scenario that may or may not be true, but you're not making a conspiracy. Mm. This guy. Takes two to tango. It takes just two people, closed door, ill intent. That's that's all it is. That's what a conspiracy is. And again... Two people. You don't even you know need a people? formal conspiracy. You just it just things just fall into place. You know, it's not that somebody's in, behind the doors going, "Ah, we're gonna." I don't know. Well, there probably is now. Now that I think about it, yeah. And I just 
getting a just getting a little bit of the a taste of the compartment compartmentalization and red tape it's uh you know the schemes just run themselves at this point <laughs> that's what they seem to be doing but you know as uh as charlie robinson said the tr- truly powerful people don't want to be famous and they don't want to be known yeah the, the true you to be really powerful you're not allowed to be elected out when people don't like you you want to stay in and have one of your lackeys get voted out um yeah another parallel that i found with the brown shirts uh, that'll be my final thought on the on the brown shirt situation is that they have uh replicated a famous event the reichstag fire are you familiar with the reichstag fire yeah, it was a uh, it was the German Parliament that went up in flames, and they accused the communists of burning it down. That's correct. They uh, had a communist there that they pinned it on and and arrested him. Uh, there are many that speculate that the Nazi Party and the Brown Shirts likely did it themselves. They likely burned. Uh, they likely burned the building on their own and pinned it on the communists. Whether they did or not, they absolutely exploited the event and they used it as a as a linchpin, as a launching point, as a political tool. They uh, let's see here. We're going to the notes. Nazi leadership uh, persuaded President Paul von Hindenburg that communists were planning the violent uprising, and they claimed that emergency legislation emergency legislation was needed to prevent this, uh, commonly known as the Reichstag Fire Decree. The resulting act for the protection of the people and state abolished a number of constitutional protections and paved the way for Nazi dictatorship. So in other words, violent actors within the party stage it and they use the, uh, the fire as a political tool to strip liberties and consolidate power for the state. Does this sound familiar to you? Hmm. Uh, uh, hmm. It's, it was, it was, uh, like a patriot something. Mm. Let's see a couple. Co- here's here's another little screenshot from our boy. He says the religious dimensions of January 6th were almost entirely overlooked by the J6 report and have been undercovered from the mainstream press. This piece makes a strong case. And he, he mentions a, a podcast makes a strong case for seeing Christian nationalism as a crucial dimension of the insurrection, and importantly. That religious movement has not waned or changed in any significant way uh, since it led to the spiritual warfare, the spiritual warfare at the U.S. Capitol two years ago. Uh, let's see. Well, he says spiritual. he harps on it a lot. Huh? Was that like wizard battles? Yeah, <laughs> or like uh, a chakra off. Was it a bunch of fucking, I don't, uh, <laughs> all I have in my head now is just like uh, a bunch of uh, like crazy QAnon people having a wand battle with Democratic KKK members in full hood, <laughs> dra- or, uh, yeah. hood regalia. <laughs> Some weird Washington DC version of the final battle of Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Where they're all going on that shit. Uh, let me see here. <laughs> Spiritual warfare. I, I was thinking of the medium battle in, in the South Park episode where Cartman becomes a medium. 
And every time the mediums get into a fight, they're like, I will use my psychic powers on you. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, South Park. Anyway, J6 is a joke. There's no shortage of evidence. And there's some really tasteful edits out there that I found that I linked in the show notes, which don't translate audio-wise very well. But just some great edits out there of all the footage of January 6th uh, that shows that it was very likely a false flag orchestrated by our own government. Uh, they got, you know, capital guys, feds in masks, you know, leading people in there, the Capitol police opening the doors, letting them in. The feds are breaking down windows. These, these guys, these very spooky looking dudes are the ones out there doing the real damage. And meanwhile, most of the people there are just sightseeing. They're walking around, they're taking selfies. They're staying within the little red roped area. You know, it was very, very uh, calm and peaceful protest uh, aside, uh, but totally orchestrated by the people from the inside. You know, it's a Reichstag style tool. I was, I was looking at this uh, photo that you have of the uh, Minnehaha Lakes liquor store, Mm -hmm. uh, which I was there for. And in a lot of ways, it was very similar as in there was a lot of people standing around doing selfies and group photos. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of that just for, oh yeah, most of the BLM riots, there were, there was only a small group of people that really went hub, but they went hub. They went harder than anybody has gone since, you know, the weather underground or something, the Vietnam era shit. Yeah. And we all know from the weather underground and from the Black Panthers, all of those organizations were infiltrated by the FBI from the very beginning. From the very beginning, they were tools that were used. They were not organic true actual movements they were they were taken over right away and made an example of and uh there's evidence that the proud boys are in a similar position they've also just been completely flooded with spooks and all of these protests and all these things that they show there's always spooks there that are just it's it's a big show it's theater which always begs the question are you familiar with glowy Mm, certainly am. Glue is familiar with you. G-L-O-W-I-E, Glowy. Oh, yeah. Not to mention uh, this situation in Brazil, which we've talked on the show and also uh, uh, they talked about on MMO. Uh, the, the Brazilian Trump, uh, Bolsonaro, and, and that whole situation with them uh, walking, marching on their parliament building because they know that they got screwed in an election as well. And they had some weird communist installed by the right people. So this is something that's going on all over the world. And this is why the open internet is important. This is why censorship is, is so awful because it's the, it's the only way you'll ever learn. Oh, excuse me. We'll be right back after this quick one. <laughs> Shut up. Shut him up. Yeah. So this is it. This is J6. You know, it's their little calling card. It's it's what unites them. They need something to unite them because there's nothing really, aside from hatred of of the other, hatred of the enemy. There's nothing that truly unites them. Well, okay. So let's uh, let's trampoline off that right there for a second. Talking about the uh, just the unification behind the event, right? Mm-hmm. What was the one parallel that they kept coming back to time and time and time again? Uh, What's that? 
as far as recent events were concerned, this was the darkest day in American history since 9-11. Yeah, it's, this is the darkest day since the Civil War. Well, I'm speaking specifically on 9-11. What was, what was one thing that we definitely saw coming out of that? Like, in that first initial pop, it was uh, very unifying. Everybody was like, oh my god, we got attacked. Yeah. Uh, you know, depending on who you were, what you were listening to, how old you were, how aware you were. There was a flash were. of patriotism that we hadn't seen since World War II. Yeah. Uh, but they just couldn't, even even with trying to to dial into that emotional battery of 9-11, they, they couldn't quite do it. They couldn't yeah. quite do it. Because they got this, they got the, they, they fucked up by letting photos of this guy, podium guy out. <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, podium guy. It's I, I have to tell everybody that I did contact podium guy on Twitter and ask him to be on behind the schemes. So if you know, podium guy, tell him to reread my, my, uh, <laughs> message to him. Yeah. It's, uh, he, he's on there. Adam Johnson at Adam Johnson. I think it was, or no, the lectern guy, I think is what his name is. Uh, Upwards of 700 people locked up solitary confinement for being a domestic terrorist for their mm-hmm. actions on January 6th. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the shaman guy got four years in prison, and, and the, Tucker Carlson just released all this footage on Fox of of the Capitol Police letting him in, giving him like a guided tour of the whole place, letting him into the Senate room. Man, and they should have. I'm just saying, like, I'm not trying to sway anybody's uh, political actions, but if they didn't want to get arrested, they should have just, like, rioted six months prior. It would have been golden. Yeah. Catch and release, baby. Yeah, all those people are still out and about. You think all those people that got pigeonholed in Seattle when, when the riot police are going on, they let all those people go. Yeah, it's it's a disturbing little situation, honestly. Uh, the BLM rights were the, were the most extreme acts of public vandalism and violence for decades. It was a pretty gratuitous display, man. It was like a, it was like the World Cup. Like I, I came home every day and I like watch, I threw on those live streams and I just watch it like sports. I won't, uh, I won't name names, but uh, an individual that I've worked with on and off uh, again, a good person. Uh, he was. I ran in to them at said uh said riots the second day and uh he was encircling uh this other dude on the ground with like four other big burly guys because the guy on the ground had just got into a knife fight with somebody and stabbed them like which it was uh (laughs) it was uh it was violent it was very violent yeah a, it was very violent. They had a pig's head floating around there, too. Oh, someone was trying to get into politics. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> They're glowing in the dark. They certainly are. And uh, the only violence that happened to J6 was uh, Ashley Babbitt getting murdered by Capitol Police. As Billy Steed rightfully points out, and they have footage of that. That video is, is pretty easy to find. And that's the only person that died that day. They keep trying to sell us on like, oh, some Capitol Police had a heart attack. No, whatever. Nobody killed anybody except except Ashley Babbitt. And uh, that's, you know, very inconvenient for them.
Oops. Did I do that? Did I do that? <laughs> Pull it. Oops. Sorry. Just trying to do some democracy. Oh, get a little taste of my democracy. Oh, yeah. You like that republic? <laughs> you like that constitutional republic, baby? <laughs> yes. History does indeed rhyme. I, I think well, I can play this last clip. It's just kind of a background on the, the fire itself, the Reichstag fire. On the 27th of February 1933, the Reichstag building in Berlin was set on fire in an arson attack. Adolf Hitler had been appointed Chancellor of Germany on the 30th of January, but had demanded new elections for the Reichstag. These were scheduled to take place across Germany on the 5th of March. Hitler hoped that they would increase the Nazi share of the seats and therefore allow him to pass the Enabling Act and take control of political decisions himself. Shortly after 9pm on the evening of the 27th of February, propaganda chief Joseph Goebbels was informed that the Reichstag was on fire. Although the blaze was extinguished before midnight, the inside of the building was destroyed. Communists were blamed for starting the fire and Dutch communist Marius van der Lubbe was found and arrested. The following day, Hitler persuaded President Hindenburg to pass the emergency Decree of the Reich President for the Protection of People and State. This suspended many civil liberties and allowed the Nazis to arrest their opponents. Thousands of communists, liberals and social democrats were rounded up by the SA and placed in so-called protective custody. Van der Lubbe was tried, convicted, and executed. Killed him. Although there is wow. debate over the exact circumstances surrounding the fire, historian Sir Ian Kershaw says there is a general consensus among the vast majority of scholars that Van der Lubbe did set the fire. There is no argument, however, that the fire was exploited by the Nazis, who used it as their first step in the creation of a single-party state. <laughs> Man, all I can say is... By the way, the chemistry of the thermite reaction must be respected. It must be. Must be. Their, uh, their argument crumbles away like the steel towers of, of the Twin Towers uh, disintegrating into the September morning air. <laughs> These arguments melt steel beams. Jetfuel may not melt steel beams, but they do evaporate them into a, 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 pay, a like a dust. It just <laughs> floats away. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> WTC6 won't go away. Uh, Only a couple stories. I was, I, I just found a, uh, a video of some of the uh, uh, fire department guys talking about it, talking about the floors one after the other. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, it was like one after another, like boom, boom, boom. That's it. That's, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, on this guy, I just wanted to go over the term brown shirt. I think it's a good term. The brown shirts live on, as you can well see. And, and I think it's an appropriate term to describe these types of people, these sorts of uh, fanatics. These far-left fanatics. Let me ask you a question. You know, you know brown shirts, 
Are you familiar with brown coats? Brown coats? Mm-hmm. Very stylish. Uh, brown coats of the Firefly series, specifically. A just- I never watched Firefly, no. It's uh, it was one of those like super culty. Um, I know, I've I know of Firefly. I just never watched it. I just it makes me think like uh, specifically during 2020, I saw a lot of um, you know, we are all Antifa, and it was Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Chewbacca, or uh, perhaps the Fellowship of the Rings. Well, I don't know if that one's as appropriate anymore. But um, one of them was the, uh, you know, Antifa is the brown coats. Um, it just makes me makes me wonder. Makes me wonder. Keep an eye out for those guys. They're jackasses. Keep an open mind. Be cool. Stop calling people Nazis. It's fucking dumb. You sound like a moron. Call them brown shirts instead. Get specific. Yeah. It just goes and goes and goes. That's all you got. That's all you right. got. It's the wheel, baby. It's the ri- it's it's just a ride. It's just a ride. Just a ride. Just a ride. Oh, I gotta I gotta make that a boost at some point. Just mm. a ride. They say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid ever, because this is just a ride. Just and a we ride. Kill those people. That's right. <laughs> we, yeah. We, we murder those people. Do we have any scream mails? Uh, we do. Ooh. Uh, I lied. We do not. Oh, you liar. I know. I, 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 uh, you I, lied to me. I clicked in the wrong window. We had a missed call, but I think that was, uh, from earlier today. Someone was leaving a scream mail. Well, you can give us a call at 612-263-7999. Am I being unfair to this guy? Am I am I am I crazy? Am I taking crazy pills here? Um, you know, this is this is an individual that just spits out a lot of hate. Yeah. This is a hateful person. Um, and I think I I uh I was telling somebody the other day it's like, you know, it can be very incredibly profitable to be one of the good guys, right? Who doesn't want to be a good guy? Because then you're just stuck being the bad guy, right? Nobody wants to be a bad guy because we're all no. the good guys. <laughs> you can't be against Antifa because that would make you a fa. That'd make you a fascist. Right. See, we're against fascists. It's in our name. So that means that you're a fascist. And as the good guy, I'm going to clock you in the back of the head with a bicycle lock and you can get fucked. Yeah, you deserve it. You're you're a racist, and because of that, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you really badly. Yep. I that's, will. That's this guy's mindset. And uh, I just, you know, this is that's uh, terrifying. And it's academia too. Academia backed. Oh yeah, because this guy's a professor. He's oh, I'm right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm on the right path here. I'm a professor. But then he goes around and he insults people. I mean, he goes around and he treats people with doctorates like they're children. Jordan uh, B. Peterson and uh, and Robert uh, Malone, M.D. He goes and he calls them all idiots. Well, but they're all. He's a bad know, doctor. Okay, he's one of those bad doctors. Doctor problem. 
<laughs> Paging Dr. Problem. Hello there. I heard you have a problem, and I'm here to make it worse. <laughs> Someone call for a doctor. Uh, well, that's all I got on uh, on brown shirts. Oh, well, right on. It's uh, and there's no shortage of um, individuals uh, similar ilk on the Fediverse. So come check it out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jerna dot host. Check them out. It's They're the, all there. It's the widest spectrum. It's a. It is a full, full, uh, full fledged spectrum. It's quite a spectrum, indeed. You've got all of the greats. You've got your Taylor Lorenzes, and uh, all these people that make a ton of money doing absolutely nothing, and providing absolutely nothing. Uh, Pizar is asking, so how does this resolve itself? Uh, you know, I think it resolves the- itself by me doing this episode and then I'm going to send it to him. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that he knows that this exists. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how this resolves itself. Pizar. Uh, if you're speaking specifically on the Fediverse, I just, I think more of the, uh, uh, quick on the trigger to Fetty Block instances will just kind of end up walling themselves off. They'll end up cutting themselves off from the vine. Uh, and I just, you know, how sustainable is that going to be when, when you know, your your circle of influence slowly shrinks down over time? Uh, but I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not on board of the whole Civil War train. Uh, yep, I'm not either. With all the research I've done in the Civil War, I can assure you, Civil War is not going to be the right thing to do. And uh, war is never short, war is never fun. And I don't know. It would be really cool to have some sort of political party come in and shake things up. That, I think, is probably the easiest and least creative solution that I can conceive. But... It just doesn't allow it, and that's what the the founding fathers kind of alluded to. That you know, the the two party system was going to eventually have a chokehold on the on the whole nation, right? But uh, you know, who knows? You got to have some major issue that unites people, and with the Civil War, the issue in a large part was slavery. You know, we don't have anything really that extreme anymore. We don't have an overt slavery. We have a slow, you know, frog boiling in the pot type of slavery that's kind of hard to to pin down, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's it's tough. It's tough. But I'm pretty sure that if a couple of bankers and oil families kind of mellowed out or went away, I think think the world would probably improve a lot overnight. Uh, yeah. And I'm hoping that, uh, just harder and further decentralization is going mm-hmm. to, uh, I think it's going to become a really big thorn. And I, uh, I feel like the thorns a, a little too deep as it is already. Generally, mm-hmm. generally, I feel like, I feel like, uh, as a whole, people will come out on top. I hope at least. Yeah, you'll always have good people and bad people. And 
the the spread of information. I mean, we just have more information now than we've ever had at and our it, fingertips. And I guess better uh, to better define that, uh, I'm speaking on the uh, ASCOs and, and LUFTAs. I, I do believe that the, uh, I do, do, do believe you do believe. I do believe that the, uh, you do believe. I, uh, I do believe. I do believe that the, uh, left does will come out on top. What you Indeed. got? What do you got for uh, intermission here? Well, I got a, got an intermission. Uh, it's got some jams in there. Uh, it's all CC by it's uh, perfectly legit. So fuck off Spotify again. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Hell yeah. We will be right back with Second Second Have a Show with Booberry, Mothman of the Miniocalypse. And Lavish, Night of the Breath Ghost. That's right.
Welcome back to second second half of show for behind the schemes episode 143 hello hello yes welcome back it is currently march 13th 2023 it is 9 20 p.m here over here on the bereft coast which means it is 11 20 over there central which means it's midnight 20 on the east coast midnight in the sewer over there damn straight that's right and it is a beautiful monday evening uh, march 13th you know it was around this time three years ago that everything went to hell. <laughs> Which means we're coming up on uh, almost three years of the show. Indeed, we are coming up on almost three years of the show. Gee whiz. Feels weird, man. Yeah, we're old now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're an established uh, thing now, you know? And to think, almost called it quits back there at like episode 15 or whatever. No. Very close. Uh, Thank goodness. Thank goodness. We're still grooving now. Uh, For anyone who's listening, we are on our own stream, the Behind the Schemes Scaler Show stream. We're also on the No Agenda stream, and we are live here every single Monday night uh, at uh, 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, and 10.30 Eastern. 
Every Monday night, we're getting behind the schemes. We're talking about things that they don't want you to, to hear. It's true. And this is the part of the show where we like to take a moment to thank all the people that come out and help produce public radio. Indeed. Pizar had to, mm. had to rip that head off. <sighs> Looks like something out of the thing, but without all the tendrils. These cadavers are getting worked. Yeah, the tendrils, yeah. Yeah. There's no like giant spiky arms. It's just like Ugh. Ugh. Oh my goodness. Gives me, gives it, me the creeps. It it's it's gotta be part of some ritual. Bully Steed shows uh, in the chat, she says that uh, next Monday is the Vernal Equinox. Ooh, we got to do something special for that. Remind, remind me what that is. The Vernal Equinox, that's when uh, it turns from like winter to spring. Oh, okay. It's the, the quarter point mm. of the year. Nice. Yeah. That's when, uh, if, you, if you go to the Great Pyramids at Giza, um. they, you think that they have four sides, but when you see it on a vernal equinox or on a spring equinox, it actually has eight sides. And each side kind of concaves in at a slight angle. And you can only see it on the equinox. It was uh, Eddie Griffin that we were listening to discuss that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Eddie Griffin does do a bit on that. Yeah. Yes, this is the point where the days of light get longer. Thank goodness. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like it when it's when it's light out late, you know? Me too. I like long evenings, and I like it a little warm or a little chilly. Mm, yes. Yeah. It feels good. Uh, we do feels have a, good, man. We got a couple of people to thank. Uh, we had Coffee Von Dustbubble coming through with a monthly donation of $3.33. And... Uh, Coffee's been Thank here you, for been here for a long while, so uh, definitely always appreciate it when uh, when they come through. She's a gangster. Thank you, Coffee. Yes, thank you. And then we had Make Heroism coming through with a whole shit ton of stuff this evening. Uh, we're indeed we're eating the bugs. I gotta fix that. Still, I'm gonna fix that right now. Um, uh, there were six different uh, <laughs> items to boost that he brought for this evening. So thank you for those. And he did some uh, promo art for us. Some beautiful promo art, uh, which really is really nice stuff. Very glitchy, very incredibly glitchy. And then I'm just waiting for these uh, show notes updates. I can see the next person because I think it was Turbo Faggot uh, coming through with the uh, opening clip for tonight. Oh, nice! Thank you, Turbo. Yeah, everybody loves the good shopping cart theory. That was really funny. I was cracking up at that. It's true. It's funny because it's true. It's so true. Return your shopping carts, you jackasses. And if you do, you're a good person and you should be proud of yourself. Uh, Also, (laughs) we'll give a special thanks uh, to Cratchit and Joe uh, once again for having us on not OBDM last (laughs) Saturday. With uh, Sir Seat Sitter. And uh, the link to that is, of course, in the show notes. It's zososcorner.substack.com, episode 143. You can check it out there if you so desire. And, uh, yeah, thanks to them. And it actually sounds like um, 
Midnight Mike is ready to fuck around with some podcast and 2.0 stuff. So we're uh, when they get back or when he gets back from his vacation, we're gonna uh, I think get some work done. This is oh. like level five memeing. I'm I'm a level two meme wizard. That's exciting news! Congratulations, Midnight Mike, on becoming compliant. Soon, soon, not quite yet, but soon. Not quite yet, but hashtag soon. Hashtag soon. soon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, we did have a boostagram come through during intermission. Uh, maybe we had two. Uh, we had 26,627 sets from uh, Nam the Man in a Millennial himself. Nam Chomsky coming through. Uh, Nam does a show with Dalgen uh, every Tuesday. Uh, called the mi- m- 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 bleh, 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 Millennial Media, Media Offensive. Offensive. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I get tongue twisted on it sometimes too. The Millennial Media Offensive, MMO. Have you tried spelling it though? <laughs> I have. I've tried. I actually, I actually made them uh, some show art one time. Nice. Because uh, Nam was asking for it, and I, I don't have any of the fancy Photoshop stuff, but I do have paint, and so I can chop something up real nasty and paint you know real nasty i'm talking real dirty i've done uh, i've done some, a couple of show pieces for him it's uh it's good times good times oh yeah oh yeah they, they like your they uh i think two weeks ago they used your it was, it was delightful yeah and they uh mmo.show live in the no agenda stream every tuesday 5 30 check it out that's right. Uh, support them in bulldozing DH Unplugged uh, off of uh, No Agenda Stream. Because <laughs> if there's going to be anybody that takes down DH Unplugged, it will be the MMO on the offensive. Just, it's such a... so Because I listen to DH Unplugged pretty regularly, and it's so amusing to me <laughs> that they like bitch every week now. It's, it's not like a real bitch. It's just like a, ah, just a slight nuisance. It's like, what, who are these guys? What, what is this? And it just tickles me so hard. And there's a point always where I'm like listening to both shows at the same time. So funny. So I'm getting my, my millennial media offensive and I'm getting my financial news and tips. It's the only way, man. Uh, But uh, life is good. Nam might say boosting through fountain. He did say great shows so far, really digging the Antifa dissection. Thank you, Nam. I appreciate it. It's, it's a non-stop, non-stop stream of dissection for those oh, folks. Yeah. We're lucky there isn't a frog in here. <laughs> you know what happened? <laughs> oh my god! Everybody we should freak have a out. frog dissection boost. Ooh, ribbit! God. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have a uh, pizar just coming through forty-four, forty-four, and he said a goat. Plus a knife equals blood. Mm. Indeed. Which is true. This is a, the correct equation. I've seen it. I've seen it myself. Pitar's seen it. Pitar has slaughtered a few goats in his time. Yeah. This is uh this is Pitar right here. I gotta now jam a knife in the side <laughs> to trigger the blades. Oh my god. You want to slaughter those goats? Ah, <laughs> oh, do it. 
Green room, you're supposed to lick the blood, right? Oh, Peter is is okay. Founding, <laughs> he's, he's got. Uh, oh yeah. Oh the goats. Um. Go ahead, grab that katana, grab that chainsaw. You know what to do. Oh, blood! Oh, I'm just gonna lick some of this blood off. Light a few cans. Oh god, I got my eye. Ah, I got my eye. A lot of blood. Ah. Ah. You're all gonna die. One more. You gotta get one more in there. Oh, well. We got we got plenty of goats. <laughs> Actually, I think that was the last one. Yeah, that's what I meant. He was getting one more in there. <laughs> yeah, I like it anyway. That's a that's a very good one. Uh, Make heroism uh, hit me up with that one uh, earlier today, I believe. Mmm. Thank you. That's why you should go to spook.social and sign up and come hang out in the Fediverse with us. Never gonna kazoo again. Guilty kazoo's got no rhythm. And that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve goats from Pitar. Twelve goats from Pitar. Uh, thank you for your courage. And thank you for your bloodlust. Bloody. <laughs> Pitar's got bloodlust. He's a he's a bloodlusty fella. And uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, Fountain, you know, I like as much as I love Fountain, it does have its hiccups. <laughs> oh, oh, you had to get one more in there. Gotta stop up all that blood. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. So the first couple were through Fountain, and then the most of the last ones were through Curio Caster, and then oh. that last one that he just sent was through Fountain. Capped it off. He's he's got multiple nude podcast apps. <laughs> it's a blood fountain. Vitar <laughs> mm. takes care of us. He makes sure that we have plenty of fresh goat meat for the roasting and plenty of blood for the drinking. Pizza gets it done. Yeah. The goats fear Pitar. He is the rock. If you wanna if you wanna play along like uh like Pitar there, you can always go check out a nude podcast app. That's right. For a <laughs> small, small 
B of 6,666 Satoshis, which I believe is only a buck or two, you can kill a goat. That goat has your name on it. Yep. It will forever. Uh, Let's see here. We don't have any other screen mails, so 612-263-7999 is that telephone number you should call. we still got plenty of time. And oh, yeah. uh, we definitely want to hear from y'all. So give us a shout. 612-263-7999. Let us know what's on your mind. Uh, I got something on my mind. What's on your mind? Well, I was kind of paying attention to this SVB stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it came up in discussion during the not OBDM, Crutchet and Joe show. We had briefly talked about uh, the Silicon Valley Bank collapsing uh, the imminent bank runs and uh, that would result from said bank collapsing all these little uh, sort of startups. <laughs> Etsy is one that I saw, I think is getting fucked over. Oh, uh, poor Etsy. People can't get their, uh, their, their, uh, their payouts from Etsy because all of their money uh, is in the bank and the bank doesn't have no more money. Oh my God. There's going to be a shortage of uh, artisanal coasters. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it just screams, how can they keep getting away with this? <laughs> Which is what I was thinking when I was doing all the promo posts for tonight's episode. How can these motherfuckers possibly keep getting away with it? Explain this mm. to me. <laughs> Big club, not in it. And uh, kind of synchronistically, there was a, uh, a small HTML document that passed by my desk. And it was uh, the 30th anniversary on March 9th of said uh, document. This document's called A Cypherpunk's Manifesto. I like it. And, uh, you know, it's fairly short. I I do want to read the full thing for you so uh, we can just quickly soak it in and it'll kind of play into some clips I've got. So if you're ready, I'll go ahead and read this piece by Eric Hughes. Is this in the notes? Can I read along with this? Yes, and I will uh, drop it in the chat room for you as well. I'm just I'm looking for it. Oh, yeah. A Cypherpunk's Manifesto by Eric Hughes. Privacy is necessary for an open society in the electronic age. Privacy is not secrecy. A private matter is something one doesn't want the whole world to know, but a secret matter is something one doesn't want anybody to know. Privacy is the power to selectively reveal oneself to the world. If two parties have some sort of dealings, then each has a memory of their interaction. Each party can speak about their own memory of this. How could anyone prevent it? One could pass laws against it, but the freedom of speech, even more than privacy, is fundamental to an open society. We seek not to restrict any speech at all. If many parties speak together in the same forum, each can speak to all the others and aggregate together knowledge and uh, about individuals and other parties. The power of electronic communications has enabled such group speech and will not go away merely because we want it to, uh, might want it to. Since we desire privacy, we must ensure that each party to a transaction have knowledge only of that which is directly necessary for that transaction. Since any information can be spoken of, we must ensure that we reveal as little as possible. In most cases, personal identity is not salient. 
When I purchase a magazine at a store and hand cash to the clerk, there is no need to know who I am. When I ask my electronic mail provider to send and receive messages, my provider need not know to who I am speaking or what I am saying or what others are saying to me. My provider only need know how to get the message there and how much I owe them in fees. When my identity is revealed by the underlying mechanism of the transaction, I have no privacy. I cannot, uh, I, I cannot here selectively reveal myself. I must always reveal myself. Therefore, privacy in an open society requires an, uh, anonymous transaction systems. Until now, cash has been the primary such system. An anonymous transaction system is not a secret transaction system. An anonymous system empowers individuals to reveal their identity when desired and only when desired. This is the essence of privacy. Privacy in an open society also requires cryptography. If I say something, I want it heard only by those whom, uh, for whom I intend it. If the content of my speech is available to the world, I have no privacy. To encrypt is to indicate the desire for privacy. And to encrypt with weak cryptography is to indicate not too much desire for privacy. Furthermore, to reveal one's identity with assurance when the default is anonymity requires the cryptographic signature. We cannot expect governments, corporations, or other large faceless organizations to grant us privacy out of their benefits. Uh, it is to their advantage to speak of us, and when should we expect that they will speak? To try to prevent their speech is to fight against the realities of information. Information does not just want to be free, it longs to be free. Information expands to fill the available storage space. Information is rumor's younger, stronger cousin. Information is fleeter of foot, has more eyes, knows more, and understands less than rumor. We must defend our own privacy if we expect to have any. We must come together and create systems which allow an, uh, anonymous transactions to take place. People have, people have been defending their own privacy for cent centuries with whispers, darkness, envelopes, closed doors, secret handshakes, and uh, couriers. The technologies of the past did not allow for strong privacy, but electronic uh, technologies do. We, the cypherpunks, are dedicated to building anonymous systems. We are defending our privacy with cryptography, with anonymous mail forwarding systems, with digital signatures, and with electronic money. Cypherpunks write code. We know that someone has to write software to defend privacy. And since we can't get privacy unless we all do, we're going to write it. We publish our code so that fellow cypherpunks may practice and play with it. Our code is free for all to use worldwide. We don't much care if you, do, if you don't approve of the software we write. We know that software can't be destroyed and that a widely dispersed system can't be shut down. Cypherpunks deplore regulations on cryptography, for encryption is fundamentally a private act. The act of encryption, in fact, removes information from the public realm. Even laws against cryptography reach only so far as a nation's border and the arm of its violence. Cryptography will... Uh, ineluctably? 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 Uh, oh will ineluctably spread over the whole globe, and with it, the anonymous transaction systems that make it possible. For privacy to be widespread, it must be part of a social contract. People must come and together deploy these systems for the common good. Privacy only extends so far as the cooperation in one's fellow, uh, in one's of one's fellows in society. We, the cypherpunks, seek your questions and your concerns, and hope we may engage you so that we 
do not deceive ourselves. We will not, however, be moved out of our course because some may disagree with our goals. The cypherpunks are actively engaged in making the network safer for privacy. Let us proceed together apace. Onward. Eric Hughes. 9th of March, 1993. And he's got a berkeley.edu email. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I wonder if he was a professor. I didn't quite get into this specific ind- individual. Um, Human professor just worked there as a... As they, they have all sorts of research branches. For sure. Uh, cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's a cool little uh, cool little piece. I'm talking about, you know, the option of having privacy, whether you want to uh, buy into it or not use it, you know, uh, the choice is so important. Yeah, and this is a this is a basic computational issue that a lot of people I don't think know understand exists, which is it's the computers were designed to be open. They weren't designed to hide anything. They're designed to have an open communication connection. Well, Anonymity is, is it takes extra steps. Well, shit, man. Speaking of uh, <laughs> open protocols that everybody can get in on, uh, this, the cypherpunk movement led to one very specific thing. And uh, I got some clips talking about it. Here's our, here's our first one. Uh, the cypherpunks. If you want to look for the genesis of cryptocurrency, uh, it was the cypherpunk movement, you know, growing out of a kind of a love of the internet and its possibilities, the discovery of cryptography and and imagining that you could actually uh, give birth to a new world, really, uh, out of the internet. Um, that a world that lives outside of the nation state and outside the structures of power and the hierarchies that are associated with that. These people had talked about the need and the possibility for a digital currency that was anonymous or could be anonymized using cryptography. The cypherpunks that emerged in the early 90s were hyper-concerned about privacy, about personal liberty, and a lot of people had come up with their own systems. Some of them came very close to happening. The one that probably came the closest was DigiCash from David Chaum. Privacy of payments is actually essential for democracy. The reason is not because you need to be able to make private payments in order to express yourself, but rather that in order to inform yourself, you may need to purchase information, and that's the thing that allows you to have opinions uh, worth expressing. Although I wouldn't say David Chom was a cypherpunk, he definitely inspired the cypherpunk movement. Uh, David Chom, the guy that was just uh, named, is the individual that we were just listening to talking about how privacy is uh, integral to a a free and open society. Mm -hmm. It's as if the cypherpunks kind of came upon David Chom's tools, like the technology of some alien species, and they only took the weapons. They were most interested in the ones that could be used to disempower the government and empower individuals. The break between him and the cypherpunks came when he realized he would need existing institutions to help him with it. So he started talking to governments, he started talking to banks. He was very close to having this thing happen in the late 90s, and nobody was really prepared for this outside of the cypherpunk movement. Yeah, David made the critical mistake of attempting to talk to the feds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, mistake numero uno there, buddy. But... It sounds like he laid out some pretty fundamental uh, fundamental blocks that people eventually took and ran with and, and built upon, which is just the nature of uh, open source uh, software and, and the like. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
surely it's no surprise where this will take us. People seemed like had almost sort of given up on the project. Other than a few experiments here and there by Hal Finney, uh, Nick Szabo, the conversation around this really died down. And then all of a sudden it came back to life after the financial crisis. And you had people going back to those experiments in the 1990s and looking at new ways of putting those ideas together. Uh, Nick Szabo in 2006 had just finished up a midlife stint at law school. And if you look at Nick's writing around the financial crisis, that it really revived his interest in these ideas that you know he'd been working on in the 1990s with privacy and contracts and the problems of governments and other trusted third parties. And he brought Bitgold back into the conversation. So Hal Finney came up with his own system. Adam Back has hash cash. Wei Dai has B-Money. Zabo has Bitgold. So what Satoshi did in 2008 was Satoshi took a lot of these ideas and made them work and created an encryption-based protocol, it's not really a currency, utilizing a ledger called the blockchain, allowing for many kinds of transactions to occur, contracts, all kinds of things can be built into the blockchain. And it does this through a system of consensus building where multiple computers all participate in the, the management of the blockchain ledger, the kind of digital document, if you will, that keeps track of all the payments. And I often have to remind myself that it was uh, directly because of the 2008 financial collapse that led to Bitcoin uh, kicking uh, kicking into gear. Mm. Absolutely, and and the cryptocurrency has always, or Bitcoin since, has been a very interesting player in bear markets and when things go tits up. Uh, there's <clears throat> seems to be sort of like. Uh, Several paradigm shifts, they call them, that happened in the last 10 years where Bitcoin would go from to that next level. It went from being $1 to $100 to $1,000. Now it's 60000 and then back down to 20000 Like It keeps having all these movements, and it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years. But how it reacts along with the, the quote-unquote stock market is always fascinating to watch. And uh, I'm not necessarily here tonight to get into the technical weeds of how or why um but there at the end i included it just to for anybody that may not be as familiar the blockchain it's what the bitcoin transactions are recorded onto it's they're hard stamped almost embossed into the into the blockchain and they cannot be rewritten or tampered with because there's so many computers that share this blockchain and all write to it simultaneously. All these computers say, yes, this transaction is authentic. You don't have to put your trust like you would into a financial institution or like you would have to put your trust into FTX as an example. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's not a third party that's managing it. It's, it's the computers themselves that manage it. Yeah. And, and importantly, if I may add, uh, and they, he said it, cryptocurrency isn't a currency, it, or Bitcoin isn't a currency, it is the transaction. The transaction is is the thing that exists. It's a string of data that shows, you know, an identifying marker and how much and when. And that is basically all it is. It's just a ledger of, of transactions and nothing more. 
and you don't when people say that you know, I don't I don't trust Bitcoin. That's I kind of I'm starting to see that that's kind of the point. You don't you don't have to trust it because the the collective of computers are actively doing the work to verify everything constantly globally. And uh, it's truly a a speculative currency like we haven't had in a while that isn't affected by bullshit. You know, there aren't people keeping the price down like they do with silver, for example. Right. I mean, you can definitely get people in there kind of sloshing the water around. But I mean, even how how much they put it like when China fills a building full of people that just mine all day long. I mean, obviously that affects it. So shit like that is in whales, you know, as you call them, big players. The as far as the mining is concerned, though, if you put more people on mining or more machines on mining Bitcoin, the um, the difficulty for attempting to solve these, um, I guess, math problems, basically, the difficulty will adjust based off how many are connected trying to mine the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there are definitely uh, safety precautions built in. Um, but again, this is not, uh, meant to be a technical how or why, uh, there was an interesting part in this clip, um, that we should definitely highlight because at a time the blockchain was vulnerable because it was localized because it only existed on so many computers. You could systematically track each one of these down and, uh, crush it. Mm hmm. Uh, because it hadn't been widely adopted by, you know, however many people it is now, all connected. Right. Well, that's very early on, right? And then, do you know who almost? Uh, I wouldn't say who almost took it down, but who almost made, uh, made it a problem for Bitcoin. Who did? WikiLeaks. You could certainly see in the hubbub around WikiLeaks that Satoshi was still somebody who was very paranoid about the government and the government coming in and taking too close a look at the Bitcoin project. And you could also see that Satoshi, I think, realized at this point that Bitcoin was still young software and the kinks hadn't been worked out yet. In, I think, late 2010, he asked me if it'd be okay if he put my email address on the Bitcoin.org homepage. I, I got to stop right there. Uh, WikiLeaks, of course, was famously uh, barred from using platforms like uh, PayPal to support mm-hmm. themselves. And they briefly tossed around the idea of turning to Bitcoin. And uh, it just, because of all of the heat that WikiLeaks is receiving, I mean, th- these are the guys that leaked the email server, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Assange hasn't seen the, the goddamn light of day since what year? Yeah, uh, since they uh, finally extradited him, he was living at the. Wasn't he living? He was doing the Snowden thing. He was living at uh, the Russian embassy for years until they finally forked him over. I think living is a loose term for sure. Or was it the Russian embassy, or was it somewhere else? I thought he was in London. I think he was. He was in London. Yeah, he was living at an embassy in London. And he had to stay in that building. If he left that building, they could arrest him. Right. Just a living hell. Now they, they've thrown him away and, and threw away the key. Uh, but yeah. Leaking all that Podesta shit. He was, he was responsible for all of that shit, man. Pizzagate. 
I mean, that all comes from WikiLeaks. Yep. Baseless claims, they said. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but uh, just all of the heat, all the um, the the attraction, it was kind of spooking Satoshi. And then uh, one of his closer uh, devs that was working with him on the project went and did the thing that you should never do. He went and started talking to feds. Talk to the he, feds. He had been the primary contact for people. Um, and I said, sure. And he went in ahead and changed the web page. But what he did is he, he, he left his name there. He took away his email address. And so it was just me and my email address who was suddenly getting all of the attention. And I think that was Satoshi's way of kind of saying, you know, you're the, you're the leader of the project now. There was one particular email where he told me that he was going to step away from the project and do something else. He never told me what else he's going to do or that he is doing. I had just been invited to give a talk at the CIA, and I told Satoshi that I accepted the invitation to go speak at the CIA. After he, he sent like, that later. email to Satoshi telling him that he was planning on going to the CIA, he never heard from Satoshi again, and that was essentially the last time anybody heard from Satoshi. Satoshi gets it. Uh, I love the character, the urban legend of Satoshi Nakamoto. Just the perfect urban legend of the internet age. I think he did something them, whoever, her, I don't know. Uh, them. They did something really phenomenal that they were able to separate their identity from the project as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Which is cool. Which is the nature of of the beast? That's the horse he rode in on. Oh. And uh, actually, that that segue segues quite nicely into uh, this next clip talking about the. Uh, well, I labeled it "No Cults of Personality" because there's there's no one there to worship. He, he's gone. He's like, "Hey, here's your thing. Have fun. Knock yourselves out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go get him, Tiger. Uh, Talk to Feds. You're out." Yeah, just don't talk to the feds. Uh, But anyways, we'll continue on. You very quickly get caught up in the question of who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Where did this come from? Who is this person? I mean, this is the 2000s. Information is out there. Everything. Everyone knows everything about everybody. How can there possibly be a person that nobody knows who this guy is? But there is a person, or at least they think it's a person. It might be a group who nobody knows who this guy is. And... He kind of appears out of nowhere in 2008 on these cryptography email lists with this system called Bitcoin. He's very active in the early years. There's a lot of back and forth with him communicating with people. It seemed like most people kind of wrote him off. It's kind of like a illusions of grandeur kind of scheme. Hal Finney, on the other hand, seemed to be really interested right from the beginning. He was a crypto idealist. Like he was not as kind of cynical as many of the other cypherpunks. So he got really into this. He started talking to Satoshi Nakamoto, who he said seemed like some young Japanese-American coder. Hal Finney was the first guy to work with Nakamoto. He was a cryptographer. As soon as uh, Nakamoto released it, he was one of the first people to email him back and say, hey, this is interesting, I'd like to work with you. And in the first weeks of Bitcoin, he worked with him back and forth setting up the system. And Satoshi Nakamoto ended up sending Hal Finney the first ever Bitcoin transaction. Any discussion of Satoshi's identity 
has to go back to the fact that Bitcoin was based on this small number of projects back in the 1990s that only a handful of people knew about, like Hashcash and Bitgold and B-Money. And so you end up with a pretty small group of people who would have known about these projects. People thought Chom, David Chom was in, you know, everybody in the cypherpunk movement at one point or another, they've said, well, he must have been Satoshi. Uh, they've all come out and denied it. Probably somebody who started out in the 90s in California with the cypherpunks, somebody who was very, very good at cryptography, who understands encryption and has done a wonderful job of just separating Bitcoin from anything that can identify him. I think for Bitcoin's sake, the continuing anonymity of Satoshi has ended up being a really good thing because the people who have gotten involved in it have been able to write their own ideas and dreams onto this technology. And there was nobody there to say, no, that's not what I meant. I mean, it's a direct thread from point A to point B, from the cypherpunks mm. to, the, to the blockchain, or to Bitcoin. Yeah, and the early projects that led up to it. I hadn't heard those. I mean, I've heard of them, but I haven't heard those names in a while. Now, gold and shit. There is a, there is a part of the video I don't have clipped, but they end up uh, talking about how a lot of the, 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 the way the projects were structured or the way that uh, people would just write emails. Um, there's a lot of speculation in the video that people like Hal Finney was actually Satoshi uh, uh, there was the other, oh, I, I'm blanking on his name. I think it was the bit gold developer. Uh, he had emails that had the same sort of, uh, syntax as Satoshi. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, another, well, oh, sorry. I was, uh, there's one guy that, that definitely tries to sell it that he's not going <laughs> to, but everybody says he probably isn't, which is Craig, right? <laughs> they actually, that's, that's what they end this video with, uh, this documentary. It's linked in the show notes. But at the very end, they don't mention this guy at all. And then the credits are rolling and it's this dude like, yeah, I'm actually Satoshi Nakamoto and I'm going to come out on camera only one time to tell the world that I'm Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> was it him? Was it, was it, do you know if it's, it was Craig Wright or was it someone else? I think it was Craig Wright. Yeah. Yeah. He developed, I mean, he has his own cryptocurrency, which is um, ETC Cash, I think. Something like that. But yeah, this guy really wants people to believe that he's Satoshi Nakamoto, but nobody's buying it. Nope. Uh, nobody's buying it. But you know what people were buying uh, at the time with Bitcoin? Mm, pizzas. And? And soda pop. And? Drugs. What would happen if people were really free, truly free, to trade what they wanted to? Ross did have an extremely radical libertarian viewpoint. And this is Ross Ulbrich, uh, a.k.a. the Dread uh, Pirate Roberts of uh, the Silk Road. Uh. Really, yeah. Uh, Spencer's got a clip somewhere. I, I didn't think to pull it beforehand, but... Uh, Stand and deliver. Yeah. <laughs> your purse or your life. Stand and deliver. Uh, let me take this back a little bit. Real and really wanted to experiment with using technology to create free markets for people. What Ross Ulbricht did was the combination of Tor and Bitcoin. That was the aha moment that Ross must have had. 
The Silk Road was basically the fruition of all of the cypherpunk dreams, the crypto-anarchist utopia that they had imagined in the 90s, you know, was real now. This was a perfectly, in theory, anonymous website with perfectly, in theory, anonymous money used to buy any contrabands imaginable. The Silk Road website is a particular headache for authorities. It's an anonymous online marketplace where people sell drugs that are posted to customers all over the world. Cyber investigators, you know, when there's a crime, can kind of trace you back because you have an IP address. It's like a telephone number. So if you call another computer, that IP address is tracked. On tour, that's taken away because your information hops from computer to computer to computer. So there's no way to trace you back to your original one. People put websites on there that are outside of law enforcement's view. There's hackers for hire, there was malware, there's credit card dump services, there was a whole bunch of them. Chris Arbell has ended up being, in some ways, the most important FBI digital crime investigator of the last few years. He- uh, so the gentleman that was just talking uh, is the law enforcement, FBI, former FBI agent that, uh, and that's being referenced right now. And uh, this guy, if we were going to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, he's our next door neighbor. Uh, If you were to take a guess, what other internet organization do you think the guy that took down Silk Road also went after? Uh, Like a small clandestine group? Or are you talking about like the NSA or something? Uh, A small internet clandestine group oh well the famous ones let's see anonymous <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll continue on he was the one who took down anonymous essentially uh. so we decided to start looking at some of the services on tour and so Road being one of them other cases they would hit tour and they would kind of throw their hands in the air and say tour it's tour there's not much we can do about it i found it interesting to kind of take a look at it and tackle it this guy's kind of a smarmy motherfucker uh, that's yeah. the uh, that's the photo of him up there at the uh, top of the section in the notes, and uh, yeah, internet cowboy. He uh, we didn't mention him by name because I didn't have his name at the time. But uh, episode eighty six, Ghost of Keith, sitting president of nothing. Uh, we had the discussion of the uh, return, of, quote unquote, return of anonymous, and mm-hmm. that uh, that other individual, Aubrey Cottle, I believe their name was. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Cottle was the one that uh, claimed responsibility for uh, hacking the uh, Freedom Rally uh, truckers' protest in Canada. Oh, what you a prick! You you might remember him from this uh, gym of an ISO honeypots. How do they work? <laughs> it rings a bell. So it's my belief that Aubrey was probably working with. Uh, Chris or maybe his department at some point um, and it's it's so true what No Agenda says what John and Adam say uh, and that of course is everybody's got a fucking podcast out there and lo and behold uh, Chris here we former FBI agent has a podcast with none oh, other that's where you spill the beans <laughs> with Hector uh, months, uh, months, ugh, ugh, hold on, I'll just, I'll just let him say it. It's June 7th, 2011, I was sitting in my apartment in the Lower East Side, something was off, 
odd vehicles outside my building. Maybe a few days before, you know, I felt that maybe I had crossed the line as I started compromising organizations closely related to the FBI. And wow, it's a knock on my door. <laughs> So hi, I'm Hector Monsegur, and over a period of 15 years or so, I lived under the pseudonym Sabu. It was kind of uh, my alter ego. I was involved in many different organizations, met a lot of friends. As a member of Anonymous and Lulzac. Made a lot of enemies. Participated in some of the world's most infamous hacks. And at even one point, I, you know, led a group that uh, would target federal contractors. That group was called Lulzac. And yes, there are a ton of crazy stories that caused up to $50 million in damages. Which we would get to. But it ultimately led to me facing you know, 124 years in prison because this guy, my co-host, knocked on my door. Let me ask you, Chris, what did that day look like from your end? June 7th, 2011 looked a little different for me. Around 6 p.m., we got some information that the internet had put out the real identity of Hector Monsignor, the one we knew to be Sabu at the time. I'm just going to go ahead and stop it there. Uh, this is the trailer for their podcast called uh, The Hacker in the Fed. Oh my goodness. And they have a podcast together. The <laughs> One of the one of the head dudes of LulzSec and former Fed FBI agents have a podcast. <laughs> this is fascinating. <laughs> this is a great concept for a podcast. He was, uh, he was just on... Um, uh god damn it what is his name chris chris uh da, 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 da. uh anyways he was just on a the fucking lex friedman podcast like oh, three nice three months ago <laughs> oh so this guy's making his rounds then yeah former fbi special agent chris tarbell tarbell ex- thank you ex-anonymous lolsec black hat hacker hector monsiger a.k.a. Sabu. Wow. Faced off as adversaries in cyberspace before becoming close friends and podcast co-hosts. <laughs> Come on. That's that's great. It's That's it, pretty fucking good. It's out there, man. I'm going to I want to circle I gotta back. I got to check it out now. Yeah. I'm definitely circling back to this. I'm going to listen to this like tomorrow. That's funny. And, and you said he was on Lex Friedman, which is, you know, always a a big one. Ugh, I, I can't. I can't stand it. <laughs> Did you see when Michael Malice went on Joe Rogan and he had a, a cake of Friedman's head? No, and they ate it. <laughs> I got it. I'll, uh, I'll I'll pull up a pic while you continue on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so that's all I really got on uh, uh, Chris Tar Bell. Uh, we'll. We'll hear the last from him in this uh, following clip. It kind of wraps up what what happened with Ross. I mean, it's uh, it's really an injustice um, how they threw the book at Ross Ulbrich and for the the work that he put into the Silk Road. Um, I think the whole you could buy drugs on there. You could you know just you can do crime on the Silk Web was a hyperinflated uh, sort of satanic panic sort of power play. Yeah, I mean, it was way overblown, but it did happen. I mean, there were drugs, weapons, gold, bullion. You could get all kinds of shit on the Silk Road back in the day. You could get anything. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, you you could you could probably hire prostitutes through the Silk Road. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, but at the, at you the, can do that through Craigslist. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not that big of a deal, I really. Mean, I, yeah. I I just. Anyways, um, this uh, this will kind of wrap up what happened to uh, to Ross. This is this is what it looks like to make an example out of somebody. There's a reason why the case was tried in New York in the, in the Southern District, and largely that was because of Bitcoin. Ross was caught in San Francisco. The Silk Road servers were out of the country. So why was Ross's case tried in the Southern District of New York, where most of the financial regulations cases are dealt with, where the district of attorney, Preparara, has been all over Bitcoin, where Charles Schumer, the senator, has been all over Bitcoin. Ross Ulbricht's case is a Bitcoin case. There's absolutely no denying it. The, the level of threat that the Silk Road posed to the marketplace, to Wall Street, whether it's a perceived threat or an actual threat, was humongous. And the idea that somebody could create a marketplace where you could freely transact without oversight or regulation had to be dealt a massive and public blow. Bitcoin kind of monetized that anonymous part of the internet and it made it possible to trade in things that the federal government doesn't want you to trade in. Law enforcement moves slowly, but it's it's a big heavy wheel that grinds that's, finely. So, that's Tarbell you know, right there. Uh, someone was uh, running a hidden service and now they're in prison for life. They were that's the snapshot. That's what his face look when it looks like when he uh, when, when he says that. Mm. Smarmy motherfucker. For life. They were playing hardball. It was very evident that their intention, as the judge herself said in her sentencing, was to make an example out of Ross, was to say to all of you people using Bitcoin, to all of you people who want to tangle with unregulated um, marketplaces and technologies and open source you know, cryptocurrencies, we will throw the book in its entirety at you if you do this. And that's because you didn't cut them in on their cut. Yep. It's because they don't have a piece of the action, because they aren't running the show, because it's not in their direct control, it must be destroyed. And uh, Ross was not the only dude that got destroyed uh, by <laughs> by the Fed. Uh, do you know the name Charles Shrem? It does not ring a bell. He's another poor, unfortunate soul that met the, met the bitter end of the judge's gavel. Um, he ran a company called BitInstant. Uh, that was a big hit. He was one of the first people through the door, uh, kind of just being a supporter, somebody that was actively using Bitcoin. And uh, it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was a type of exchange. Um, but he made one mm. critical error. Charles Shrim sold Bitcoin to a guy who turned around and gave another guy that Bitcoin in exchange for drugs. Do you see the problem here? <laughs> uh, yeah. Three degrees of criminal. Well, there's a, I'm, I'm really glad that you, that you uh, brought up some of the, uh, the topics earlier, uh, just talking about how, you know, the, uh, such a tragic event can be turned around and used as a, a springboard for legislation. Uh, Charlie was tried under a fan favorite, turns out. With me, uh, it wasn't all my customers. It was one customer out of about 100,000 customers. This was one customer. 
one single, and I made that case in my sentencing. I said, Your Honor, this was one customer. It happened that, that literally I was coming home from Amsterdam. <laughs> it was on my sweatshirt. I was still stoned. I don't know what was going on. Charlie did not know when to shut up, and that ended up getting him in trouble and probably led to the end of his company. But they got me under the Patriot Act, and it's money laundering because I knew that the money I was taking was eventually possibly going to be used for drug trafficking. Now, drug trafficking is not buying drugs, it's selling drugs. I didn't have the drug seller, I helped the guy buy drugs. But I never went to trial because, and I pled guilty because who wins at trial? You know, like this guy Silk Road, he's gonna go, go to life. In, in trial, all I needed to get was a lady who son died from a cocaine overdose and I would have, the jury would have convicted me right there. So essentially, Charlie was selling Bitcoins to a guy who was selling Bitcoins to people who were putting drugs into their own bodies. Um, and for this, Charlie was charged with crimes that could have put him in jail for 20 years. That's what the prosecutors were shooting for. We have banks that have ATMs on every street corner in America, and those banks know very well that that cash is getting used for drugs. And yet, that's fine. They're allowed to do that, no one gets in trouble. But Charlie sells Bitcoin to a guy who sells Bitcoin to someone who uses drugs, and he goes to jail. He was an entrepreneur that started uh, building this industry, built services that people found useful. When bankers almost destroyed the world economy and none of them got in trouble whatsoever. And here we have this 23-year-old kid, he goes to jail because he started building an alternative. This shit mm -hmm. scares them. Oh yeah, they want to shut it the fuck down. Well, bankers run the world. Everything is a banker's game. And when you start fucking with money, that's when you start making real enemies. Yeah, and um, yeah, the real enemies, uh, I came to find out from this documentary, they really started rearing their head in the uh, Southern District of New York. Um, yeah, that's where Charles was uh, eventually indicted to, uh, so that mm -hmm. he could be tried, I believe. Or, I'm sorry, Ross. It was Ross. Um, this, uh, this that is... way, they probably have a little sway over, over you know the judge and, and the court itself, as opposed to getting tried in some backwater where you don't have any of that influence. Oh dude, it's about to get, <laughs> it's about to get real shady. Um, this clip is, uh, it, it, it's girthy. I ended up having to cut quite a bit out of it. This is actually, um, this is different, uh, hearings, uh, around the Mount Gox collapse. Mount Gox was another type of exchange where people could go online and buy Bitcoin. Um, the dude that originally uh, built it didn't realize that it was going to take off so quickly uh, and so just so hard. So he mm -hmm. ended up selling it to a dude that just screams uh, SBF. I mean, this guy just looks like a total carbon copy of the dude, mm -hmm. uh, a French kid. He was like 23 when he bought it, lives in Japan, just some uh, savant gamer uh, crypto type, right? Yeah. He ended up taking it over, but just completely mismanaged the company into a fiery hellhole. Yeah, many such cases. And, uh, you know, this is where they discuss in the documentary, like, you know, if you apply these old tactics like exchanges to the Bitcoin, you are putting yourself in that same position where you've got a central point of failure and uh, a lot of people were left holding the bag. And of course that attracted 
the regulators. Uh, so we're going to take a listen here. Um, regulators. Uh, the, the, the main guy that we're going to be hearing from the main douchebag is Benjamin Lasky. He was chair of Lasky. The, Lasky. He was chair of the New York state department of financial services at the time. And uh, just take, take a listen to yeah, what we have. It's a ha- stodgy job. Man, the, the reasons he lists of why we have to fight situations like this, it's just, it, it left my mouth a little agap. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into these hearings. There are some people in the Bitcoin community from the libertarian side of things that want government to just, just leave it alone. Would you say regulation is both inevitable, but more importantly, actually ultimately going to be crucial for the survival of virtual currency. Sounds like a terrible idea to me. Uh, Just understand what we're trying to do with Bitcoin. We're trying to create a world where transactions can move globally for free, okay? And making these companies hire, you know, some outsourced compliance firm is, is a bad idea. It'd be great in any industry if you could just open the door and let folks run out and give a shot. We may choose not to invest in a company if they can't get licensed by you. If the choice ultimately is between preventing money laundering on the one hand, and I probably even shouldn't use the word money laundering because it's too nice a word, frankly. Money laundering is the facilitation of all kinds of horrific crimes that I think everyone in this room never wants to see happen. Acts of terrorism, funding rogue nations, etc., all take place through massive money laundering. Now, the choice for the regulator is permit money laundering on the one hand, or permit uh, innovation on the other, we're always going to choose squelching the money laundering first. Lab a lot of, I think the entrepreneurs feel like they have to self-censor. They don't want to come out vocally critical of the regulations. Part of that is maybe because some of them just like regulations, but I think another part of it, some of them just feel like they will get attention of the regulators if they come out against them. Yes, we want them to innovate, but at the same time, we just oh, can't love regulations. Global, uh, they're all about it. You can't just let people bust through the door and do willy-nilly. You can't just have people being able to transact with one another all over the globe for free. And, you know, if you don't let us do this, the terrorists win. Yeah, we need to be able to do this exclusively. We need to be able to launder money <laughs> and have dark money operations and finance paramilitary groups in South America, etc. We're the ones who can do that. Yeah. Not you. Not you. Speak. I mean, not that you're doing it, but someone could do it. Someone theoretically could. Some guy, some 25-year-old guy hitting a bong in Amsterdam is definitely the real threat to the world. And, man, it gets, believe it or not, worse from here. Permit um, uh, money laundering to go on. The lesson from the internet is anything that China bans, invest in. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that's a joke, but um, the U.S. allows Google to operate here, allows Twitter to operate here, allows Bitcoin to operate here, allows Facebook to operate here. Chinese government doesn't allow any of those companies to operate the way they operate in this country, or at all. Uh, it's about freedom, ultimately. You know, we're 50 yards from the old World Trade Center here, and... Uh, I think yeah. all of us never want to the see anything world. like that happen again. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a lot harder for 9-11 to ever have occurred had we had the protections in place that would prevent oh, the movement of mass. fucking break, Do you dude. like that? You like that? That's what I want to hear. That's what I fucking <laughs> want to hear. Reichstag. 
Reichstag, baby. I, I was I was happy. I was happy to see what you had uh, uh, brought uh, for tonight's show. It's like, <sighs> yes, this is going to pair well. God damn it. <laughs> if only Dick Cheney wasn't transacting in Bitcoin on Silk Road, then 9-11 wouldn't have had. Go fuck yourself, dude. Yeah. Oh, and <sighs> it uh, it gets even worse. Yeah, uh, specifically for New York. Um, but uh, well, I'm gonna take this back just a little bit. Prevent the movement of massive amounts of money around the globe by uh, people who would uh, want to kill everybody in this room. So um, uh, I think the key hey, is to uh, not create useless regulation. But I think the motives behind a lot of those rules are to ensure. Uh, we don't miss something again. A loving crush, if you will. Yep. And uh, they got the job done, damn it. They ended up instituting the bit license for the state of New York, which was their aims to protect consumers from events like Mt. Gox, etc. Uh, protect oh them from the Silk Road, etc. Shit like that, right? Protect them from buying drugs. And um, there's a short little scene where uh, I think his name was Eric Voorhees. Uh, Pizar says Eric that he was a, he was a smart dude, but unfortunately went over to the dark side and started shit coining. Um, I feel like I've seen this name somewhere before. Uh, which, if true, that's unfortunate. But uh, I do I did really like the stuff that he had to say in this documentary. Um, he ends up showing the the license application, and it's you know it's a fucking packet. It's real thick. Mm. And uh, I think I think Losky, the dude pushing through this bit license, which succeeded, they voted it in, um, I think he did the scummiest thing imaginable. He went on, he resigned, and he started his own firm to provide legal assistance for people trying to apply for the bit license. <laughs> Uh, problem and solution, baby. Here's the clip. To put all the cards on the table, I'm going to be leaving the department in the coming weeks. And if you asked me back when I took this job in 2011, uh, what I thought we'd be working on during my tenure, uh, uh, digital currencies would not have been at the top of the list. So Ben Lasky created this thing called the Bit License, which is uh, New York's attempt to regulate uh, this scary new technology. It's now law, and he has announced that he is leaving uh, government in order to set up his own private consulting firm to help companies navigate financial regulations such as the bit license that he created. So we essentially had this beautiful new ecosystem being built, and Ben Lasky comes by, says, I'm here to protect consumers. He builds a huge wall around the thing, and then he sits outside the gate charging people to get in. This is the very definition of crony capitalism. And for some reason, Ben Lasky doesn't even see anything wrong with that. <laughs> I, I think history will not judge him as favorably as he thinks. Indeed. So, um, yeah, um, I've started up my own uh, consulting business. Mm. Uh, it's been quite interesting doing a lot of work uh, in the fintech space, but also doing work with a lot of uh, traditional uh, companies in the financial services world as well. Ben Lasky's team at the DFS that was working on this, these, this bit license and the Bitcoin initiative have all ended up leaving the agency and going to consulting firms that are now working on these issues. Problem, reaction, solution. Mm-hmm. 
You build the wall and you got the keys. It's just, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's people that talk about not doing business anymore in New York because of these uh, regulations. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, that's, if if everywhere else is unregulated, it's just this one shithole, then yeah, of course. But New York is New York. And I uh, I ended up clipping them out, uh, but the Twinkle Voss twins make oh, make an appearance in this documentary as well the, the facebook twins oh yeah they were at that hearing that we were just listening to that and they were they've been on board with the regulations they feel like it would you know if we can build these things that will protect it right out the gate then we'll be good to go um and you see people building things for your protection and then you gotta pay them to get protection kind of like the From mafia the traps that they made yeah it is it's the mafia it's a protection racket hey uh man it'd be a shame if something happened to your window here but you know you give me a couple bucks a week you know uh, make sure no one comes around and breaks this window <laughs> that's what uh, this is you know satanic black magic sick yeah. shit this, it really is an old playbook coming from new york city if you think about it it's a photocopy of the photocopy of the photocopy Facsimile, facsimile, facsimile. <laughs> yes, uh, sir. So <laughs> that uh, that concludes the clips from this documentary. Well worth a check out. Pizza is saying that uh, brought him down a nice uh, memory lane trip, which is uh, super cool. Yeah, I learned yeah, a lot. Pizza remembers all this crony cronyism. Um, depending, how are we doing on time? Um, I did find this uh, cypherpunk manifesto at a website called activism.net uh which is a great sort of retro website a lot of the stuff on there is broken unfortunately um but there's some uh way back articles uh archived mm. uh, which is cool there's a uh there's a big uh, i shouldn't say a big but there's a little repository of uh diagrams for phone freaking boxes oh wow not that they'll work anymore but uh it's still cool to check it out and the downloads it's retro it's cool yeah uh there's a really i don't know if we've ever talked about this lavish but uh i enjoy picking locks <laughs> oh yeah that is are a, you are you in, do, are you a lock pick i am not a very good one but i enjoy it mm-hmm. well, i always got the lever on me at least yeah so you got a little kit mm-hmm. it's not a very good one i, I wouldn't mind upgrading I I've always wanted to get into lock picking. I never just take the step to because it's not like it takes a lot, but you know, I I would like to get into that as well. Yeah, they I mean they got little uh, acrylic locks that are see through. Mm-hmm. You can practice yeah, on those practice and, locks. Yeah, yeah, feel out the pins and all that. It's cool, man. I've gotten into the house before. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's it's a useful skill to have, no doubt about it. Have you ever seen the lockpicking lawyer on YouTube? Yes. Oh man, that is quietly one of the best channels on YouTube. It's some good shit. It is some good shit. Um, all right. Let me. I'm gonna present three options for you. Um, and we can do whichever one you want to do. All right, okay. we, we can do all of them. Uh, totally okay. up to you. Uh, as I was picking or poking around on activism.net. 
I did click on a link that took me to uh, a way back article. It was a or a way back snapshot. It took me to a website called disinfo.com. <laughs> and uh oh my goodness, I recognized the logo instantaneously to disinfo.com because I've got a huge hard copy book of some of their articles. Oh, really? It's called You Are Being Lied To, The Dis- Disinformation Guide to Media Distortion, Historical Whitewashes, and Cultural Myths. Uh-huh. And this was published in 2001. That's pretty old. Uh, yeah, that it, is pretty old. Uh, some of the main categories, the news media and other manipulators, politics, official versions, the social fabrication, Condemned to repeat it, tripping, holy rolling, blinded by science, the big picture. It's a uh, three hundred and fifty nine pages. Oh, nice, nice girthy book. And um, I found a rather short one, a short little piece called "Church of the Motherfucker," which I thought would be fun to share with everybody. It's only two pages, uh, so you get through that fairly quick. I also have a series of videos on sort of uh, meme culture. They're short, but they kind of tie into what we were talking about earlier with just uh, the way the uh, SA folks would control the flow of information. They go out there and make their own memes, i.e. lies, change mm-hmm. public perce- uh, perception on matters. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can wrap it for tonight. Uh, uh, gosh, uh, uh, I'm interested by the the two pages uh, thing. Uh, uh, or would you rather I play these videos? Maybe these videos would probably be more snappy. Let's do it. I'll do the videos. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's only. I think there's four minutes total. It's pretty cool. Yeah. No um, this actually ties back to uh, when we last did our episode together. Um. I can't remember quite what the trigger was at the time, but uh, whatever you had said at the time made me think of this video, and uh, it it just it ties in well with some of the stuff that we were hearing earlier about um, these kind of grand concepts coming to life, and then a whole culture being built around said concept. You know, uh, verify verified transactions, uh, stuff like that, and. Mm. Um, This first clip is uh, the holy grail of memes. These memes as units of culture spread as graphics and audio through the digital realm and anchor themselves as internal memes in our consciousness. In our minds, they continue to cultivate by splicing with other memes as well as our personal life experiences before they are spread further. Some memes conform to you and you resonate with them as a sort of observational comedy. Other memes make you conform to the meme itself. Memes spread with varying degrees of effectiveness, all depending on how well the meme was constructed. With the advent of the internet, a well-constructed meme can transmit globally in a very short time span. Some memes are not that contagious, but affect a few susceptible individuals in a hyper-effective manner. So much so that they alter the mind of the host to the extent that its well-being becomes inconsequential. If you are subscribed to a memeplex to the degree that you are willing to lose your life for it, then you are the definition of a memoid. 
Examples of this meme-driven, uncompromising idealism is, for instance, Captain Ahab from Moby Dick with his obsessed mindset of dead whale or sunk boat. Terrorists such as Ted Kaczynski would also fit this description or suicide cult followers. Or the good professor that you were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. The good professor. Memoid. That's a good one. <laughs> the perfect meme would be one that's extremely contagious meme. as well as extremely potent. Imagine this holy grail of a meme whereby experiencing it, you instantly become an obsessed memeoid, desperate to <laughs> transmit it to as many others as possible, no matter the cost. <laughs> oh boy, this is fun. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think I think uh Ross could maybe qualify as a memeoid. He gave his life essentially to broadcast this message. Uh, this message being an open and free market where there was no rules. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, this next clip, uh, I was thinking about it when you were talking about the book burning, and the author of the video uh, actually references another individual who compares books to. Uh, 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 bodies of space, or like just astral, not astral bodies. Oh my god, uh, space things. <laughs> Schopenhauer divided books into three quality tiers: shooting stars, planets, and fixed stars. This system of tiers translates well to memes. A shooting star grabs our attention for a very short time. It appears you find it appealing for a brief moment before it disappears. A planet, on the other hand, are long-lasting quality memes, yet its brightness is borrowed from a fixed star. It's good, but completely dependent on a different meme. It's a good sub-meme from within a memeplex. A fixed star is a supreme meme shining light on us for generations. These memes shine by their own light while being instantly appealing and resonates with our personal subjective experiences, highly <laughs> contagious as well as potent. The core of a meme plex that generates countless sub-memes and stays with us for the rest of our lucid lives. Corporations will never master the art of creating soulful memes. Their attempts are lifeless right. mockeries, similar to that of a child attempting to recreate a masterpiece. You will never be a meme lord. The corporations will never. The <laughs> yeah. memes come from the people. Oh, and, yeah. and a lot of the time, anonymously. What's the greatest meme in the world? That is always shit on. Everybody's always calling it. In fact, our professor called it. Uh, I'm, I'm, of course, referencing Keck. Mm -hmm. Pepe the Frog, uh, which is undoubtedly the, the number one meme of our time. And that's exactly the image that the uh, author of the video is displaying as the star. <laughs> well, he's the star. He's the one. And. There uh, and he he mentions it. God, where is it? I'm trying to find the screenshot here. I do where agree you, with uh, Servo. The game is another uh, ultra potent one as well. Did I put it in the notes? Kind of independent of other uh, other memes to exist. Yes, very infectious. I do like the way he articulates the the three kinds of memes. It's a very pretty way of talking about it. Well, and it was also referring. Um, the original context was in books. So there's books that are shooting stars. They, you know, kind of, they're the fluffy novels. They catch your attention, but they kind of drift off. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have books that require the lights of other books. 
uh, to shine. And then you've got the ones that are the stars. Yeah, the stars that are the the permanent fixtures in the sky. This is the the screenshot I was looking for. It goes, in the year of our Lord 2022, a very online guy like Musk would have to be pretty obtuse not to know that the word keck has become thoroughly saturated with alt-right neo-Nazi meanings. So it calls him a Nazi and calls keck a Nazi. And this is what they do. They don't have control over this thing. This meme, this hilarious, wonderful thing that is purely birthed from the madness of humanity and for once isn't just a fucking prefabricated bullshit marketed thing that's crammed down your throat. They hate that. They hate that they don't have control over this thing. There is uh there is one country out there trying to gain control using a tactic called humor over rumor and uh <laughs> it's one of our allies. Over the next few decades Governments, corporations, and interest groups will develop more sophisticated mimetic engineering. They will never create any soulful memes, but they will still be successful at mass-producing poorly made ones. Having the ability to spot the difference between an organic meme and a forced meme will become a very important talent. In December 2019, Taiwan's administration announced that they had installed meme engineering teams in each government department to quickly respond to disinformation within 60 minutes. Within each government department. Each. Brutal. These were combined with simple attacks. You don't think we don't have that here? We do, people. Oh, dude, I've been on that train for... That was probably one of the first things I came uh, to, to, to believe by myself just like oh there's no way that there's not clandestine alphabet agencies totally just pumping out their own memes there's no way pumping out biden memes pumping out memes bullshit and then you go to 4chan or something and people smell that so fast that's where the term glowy really comes from is is people in 4chan being like you're full of shit this is pushed this Mm -hmm. is fake you're lame G-L-O-W-I-E, glowy. The words fake accounts boosting the initial spread of the constructed meme. Their approach is humor over rumor in order to combat what they claim to be disinformation. Once a rumor that's not in the interest of the administration starts spreading on social media, the state-controlled mimetic engineers meme the rumor to death by making fun of it. This acts as an inoculation or a mimetic antiviral focusing on bite-sized comedy that makes the citizens themselves further spread the engineered meme in order to counter the original one, which may or may not have been true. A possible future extension of mimetic engineering is to develop algorithms that use all available factors in order to target you directly. This would include government-stored biometric data such as DNA, hereditary disorders, and health issues, combined with your lifelong search history, all digital inputs, your social contacts, as well as your GPS footprint from your cell phone. So what I take away from the end of that clip is the Mormons are going to start making tailor-made memes for you, because that's who the government's going to turn to for your (laughs) genetic information. (laughs) I can see that. Uh, the Mormons are in the position. What I'm taking away from it is I think that this guy is uh, Kirk Douglas. It sounds a lot like Kirk Douglas. Uh, could be Kirk. It could be, could Kirk. be Kirk. Or it could be lavish. Lavish. Could be lavish. Could be lavish. Um, all right. I got two more and then, uh, and then we're done. 
Uh, this next one is uh, cultural transmissions. And uh, this one just brings up one of the all-time classic uh, memes. In 1970, John Horton Conway designed an algorithm called the Game of Life, consisting of squares with two colors that are following a simple set of rules. The result is a wide variety of unpredictable self-emerging patterns. Self-emergence is something we see in the real world when an entity is observed to have properties its parts do not have on their own such as snowflakes or thermite cathedrals. Mm -hmm. The mimetic system of the world is acting in a similar self-emerging manner. For example, memeplexes where order emerges spontaneously out of chaos. Or when larger and more complex memeplexes are replaced by smaller and less complex ones. One of the earliest proponents of large-scale disinformation tactics and the organized spread of mass malicious memes was the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin. One of their tactics was to spread many similar opposing news at once. This was on purpose in order to exhaust the citizens who in turn would give up searching for the proper truth. By constantly having to hear opposing rumors and news articles, critical thinking became exhausted. The Trump years. In the pre-internet society, mm -hmm. malicious memes were much less potent as their reach was limited due to slow communication technology and centralized news sources. It was with the advent of the internet and parasocial media that memes as cultural transmission became extremely potent and complex. Mm, cultural transmissions, man, it's true. And sending out waves is like we were talking about two weeks ago with um, the CIA influencing art and abstract expressionism. That's what it was. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. That was I absolutely mean, you're, it. You're, you're making moves and you're, you're affecting culture in a very real, very real way. Yeah, we are, we find ourselves in the midst of the great meme wars. Absolutely. Indeed, and perhaps we always have, which is the, the memes of production have been seized, and we are able to produce memes ourselves. It's, it's an even playing field now. And I do... Uh, a more even playing field. Yeah, I do have this one last clip, but I, I, I did want to quick say that um, Bitcoin is one hell of a meme that got uh, handed down. Yeah, you can say that again. Yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here with the blocks of mimetic life. Our minds are becoming blocks in the game of mimetic life, where our critical thinking is being replaced with an aggregate of engineered memes. This will livelock civilization in a net of mimetic parasites of our own making. Society was once bonded through common ideals, Having a shared memeplex, such as a rigid faith system, enabled humans to maintain larger communities, and this was imperative in the advancement and maintenance of civilization. Once the majority have become memeoids who subscribe to their own obscure memeplex, communities will be destroyed. The better access a society has to the open internet, the more split it will become. If the majority of a population stops trusting vital institutions and believe them to be unredeemable, then society is bound to revolt or balkanize. Politicians, balkanize. journalists, and institutional executives are not infallible. They are influenced by memes just like you and me. Memes mm -hmm. are ungovernable. There is no big other or any infallible authority who can protect us from its effect. The extreme tension from the colliding memeplexes will be a distinct attribute of the decades to come, the historical era of memetics. That's right. You're tying into the divinity 
you're you're seeing beauty and light shine through the memes. You know it's pure. There's something inside of you. You can't even define it. It's intuition. You're built with it. Yep. And as with everything, there is the opposite and equal, or there's the uh, uh, the total opposite, where you have dudes like Lossky calling back to the meme of 9-11. Surely you don't want that again. You don't want that tragedy on your hands. Yeah, something that has nothing to do with what he's talking about. He has to bring in a, a total meme. Yep. You don't want to get your window broken into, you kid. <laughs> and the, the dumb New York gangster is a meme. It's all memes. Just a ride. Yeah, it's just a ride. Lots and lots and lots of memes. So uh, that was girthy. Uh, my apologies, but it's just there was a lot to chew on, especially no, with that all was the, that was good, man. I, I really liked it. The uh, just the recent happenings and like just buying some shirts and st- or a shirt and some stickers with some Bitcoin recently. That that was successful. I just like man, we got this. <laughs> oh yeah, this is gonna be easy. Well, these days I spend most of my Bitcoin supporting a value for value podcasting 2.0 podcast. Yep. And uh, just like this one and others, Ball After Ball, Hog Story, MMO, uh, Planet Rage, any, a lot of them on the No Agenda stream uh, and a lot of them that are not on the NA stream and soon more to come. Um, and yes, more to come. It's only the beginning. That's, uh, I mean, that is a in my humble opinion, just a direct stake to the heart, just a, a, a D20, just critical hit. When you go and use decentralized currency to support decentralized entertainment and you chat with your, with your internet friends in, uh, on decentralized platforms. Mm-hmm. I mean, they and people aren't just constantly trying to force you to do shit all the time. They might get a couple of us, um, but not everybody. Not everybody. We don't uh, have any other voicemails, so I believe that wraps us for tonight. Oh, well, excellent! Well, uh, good topic, uh, and yeah, I guess we'll we'll jam on. This has been episode one forty three of Behind the Schemes. Thank you for joining us. Once again, we are a value-for-value value production, which means we don't have ads, we don't have any corporate sponsorship, we don't have any reads, and that's for a reason. And so we can talk about the things that we talk about, and we aren't stifled in any way. And if you want to support us, you can find us at our website, Behind the Schemes, with threes for ease and schemes.com, or uh, you can go to zososcorner.substack.com, see our show notes, and also the links to everything that we've got. We've got a website, we've got a BTS shop, we got a chat room. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff. You got some great tabs on there now, so it's easy to link to all that. Yeah, com. Yeah, behind the schemes dot shop. Make heroism and Mary Kate Ultra graciously run that uh, that uh, swag shop for us, and it's uh, it's just it's really cool. I really it's appreciate so awesome. it. I, I'm look. I got some shirts coming in the mail soon. It's it's really beautiful stuff. So thank you so much, Make Heroism. Thank you so much. Mary Kate Ultra. And thanks to everybody. Thanks to Servo uh, for uh, making Gal and a lot of other different things. And 
thanks to everybody tuning in and uh, Pitar and everybody in the green room. Mm, cotton gin, sea dubs for the uh, boost bot and the ISO bot. Yep, cotton gin, sea dub. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everybody who who contributes because this is a this is a big project. You know, it takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village to murder the goats. That's right. And these people they want to murder those goats. We got a whole ranch full of them. Uh, <laughs> they're just brimming with warm <laughs> red blood just waiting just waiting for you do you I have an honest question for you do you think this is what Satoshi intended all along yes mm. well you know what they say feels good man and until then I've been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman and I have most indubitably been lavish Is this how you do it in the green room? You're supposed to lick the blood, right? Should I lick this stuff too? Amazing. Movies. Oh, I love it. I'm just gonna lick some of this blood off. Last time I did the show, it was horrible. All the female members of the staff went to Circa, as well as the gay man. This is it, boys. This is war. I know you like to get wet, dog. Eat it. Expletive, mother expletive. The whole go thing is just spiraling out of control. I almost killed myself when I saw my credit report. <laughs> There's a lot of ghosts out there. This is the crazy fucking world, dude. This is behind the schemes. The esoterica of your dreams. <laughs>